Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. You know, I think Kevin Harlan is a great play-by-play voice, but it just hits different when it's not your team. Don't you agree, Glenn Mack, now? Oh, man, Mike Sealski. I had not heard that before, right? I'd I'd seen the broadcast, and I heard Merrill's call, and I had not heard Harlan, who I think is the best in the business. But at that moment, no, I think we should apologize for the pain we just caused. Well, it was either that or Merrill Reese, and I feel like if we had given the people Merrill's call, it would have been even more depressing. Yeah, Merrill was pretty pretty morose about the whole thing. So, yeah, but listen, Harlan's great. It was a great call at a horrible moment, that's for sure. It was, and if you're an Eagles fan, uh, it has not been a good week. Uh, Good morning, welcome, happy holidays, merry early Christmas. As we said, I am Mike Sealski, he is Glenn Mack now, we'll be with you for the next three hours. Uh, Trying to figure out where the Eagles are at, that's where we want to begin. And Glenn, I want to throw this out to you at the start. I really feel like, now that they've lost three games in a row, now that they're 10-4, and that this team is at a pivot point, specifically with respect to its head coach, Nick Sirianni. I think it's very easy to get caught up in the way things look right now. A team that's lost three games, as we said, blew it Monday night against the Seattle Seahawks in a game they should have won, a game that everyone expected them to win. Uh, The bad vibes are all around. I get that. That said, given the fact that they are playing two terrible teams in the next three weeks, the New York Giants twice and the Arizona Cardinals once, the Eagles could very well clean up some stuff, win these final three games, starting on Christmas Day. They could finish 13-4, and four, win the NFC East, have home field advantage in the wild card round where they're going to face an inferior opponent. They may lose to that opponent, but they'll be the better team on the field, at least on paper, and then they'll get another home game. They could end up back in the NFC Championship game. It's not outlandish to think that. And yet, I remember, to go back about 9 or 10 years, 2014, I remember when they were 9-3 and three and had just beaten the Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day, had destroyed the Cowboys in uh, AT&T Stadium mm-hmm. on Thanksgiving Day. They were 9-3. and three. They were a Super Bowl favorite. Chip Kelly was the toast of Philadelphia. And then they lost their next three games, including another game to the Cowboys, including a game to the Seattle Seahawks. We're 9-6, and ended up not making the playoffs, and that was really the beginning of the end for Chip's tenure with the Eagles. We all know what happened the year after that. So, Glenn, am I wrong here to think that these three weeks, and even this postseason, 
has major ramifications for this franchise, and particularly for Nick Sirianni. No, I don't think you're wrong at all. You said pivot point. Yeah, I, I mean, I was going to say tipping point, which is pretty much the same thing. I will say the one difference between this and Chip Kelly was I think Laurie just couldn't stand having Kelly work for him. I think he had buyer's remorse pretty early on, and part of that was that Kelly was pretty uncontrollable, um, certainly much more uncontrollable than Nick, right? Kelly Kelly led to Roseman being uh, demoted and everything else, and so I think Laurie wasn't very affectionate toward Chip and was happy to let that happen. But your your bottom line point I think is pretty fair. And, yeah, they are at that tipping point or that pivot point because the way things have gone in the last three weeks, if they continue to spiral down like this, it, it's, it's, it is going to be over. I think it, it will happen. It will fall apart. And there's already been enough fraying to the fabric and things we have seen come out with players and demoting a coach and mm-hmm. so on that if, if it continues down this road, it could be the car going off the cliff. But what you said is also true, which is – after that horrible six-week schedule of tough team after tough team, well, five, and then who thought Seattle would be the sixth? Right, right. But it was. Uh, you now have three patsies coming, uh, two into town and one on the road that you could clearly beat up, get yourself in good shape for the playoffs, a couple players coming back and win a game or two in the playoffs. Still remains to be seen whether they could beat the Niners and go back to the Super Bowl. But, yeah, they go back to the NFC title game and – we won't be extremely delighted to not get back to the Super Bowl, but we'll live with it. Um, so, which do I think is more likely to happen? Mm. Probably the second. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I just can't see them losing to these these two teams. And if you get a home game in the first round against the likes of who? The Vikings, are we talking? Could the, be Vikings. The, could the be Saints. the Vikings. Could be the Seahawks. Um, uh, I, I don't think it would be the – I mean, I guess it's possible it's the Saints. Yeah, maybe. Not. I know the Saints – whatever. But you, you get a team – it won't be Dallas or Detroit or San Francisco, and so I would think that you get you're going to win that game at home, and that's where they are. So I do think they are at that point. I would not have believed something like that was possible a month ago. All the things that could have gone wrong have gone wrong. Um, the one thing I felt I would not see was questions about the culture of this team. Yeah. Because that's something that seemed so good. Um, they loved each other, and we loved them, and everything was great, and we're doing Christmas albums, and, you know, it was all great. But underneath the surface, maybe not so much. Yeah. And that's the part that is most concerning to me. It, it is. And my colleague Jeff McLean at the Inquirer, um, if you're not – if you are – a reader of the Inquirer, reader of Jeff McLean, or just interested in the Eagles, you should really listen to his podcast, Uncovering the Birds. It's kind of a narrative podcast. He does interviews. He gets you behind the scenes of what's going on with the team. And in his most recent episode, uh, he reported that the Eagles are having discussions internally about, again, Glenn, as you said, someone we never thought we'd be having these kinds of discussions about, Jalen Hurts. Uh, one of the things that Jeff is reporting is that the Eagles, according to sources, want their franchise quarterback to be authentic. But some team leaders also want him to open himself up a little more in the locker room and have more of an outward leadership style when it's needed during these difficult stretches. And I wonder if that's part of what you're talking about here, Glenn, with respect to culture. This team went very quickly from being, as you kind of hinted, a team that everybody loves uh, they fancy themselves as underdogs, you know, playing on the whole, nobody likes us and we don't care vibe. And yet in the last three weeks, there's been some 
turmoil, I think it's, it's fair to say. There are players lashing out on social media. Uh, there have been these kinds of questions. Obviously, they demoted their defensive coordinator. Uh, is this the same team we thought they were? I- I'm not so sure. Um, pro- as of now, it stands that they're not. Right. Listen, losing to San Francisco is certainly understandable. Getting crushed by San Francisco, not so much. Losing to Dallas, yeah, I mean, I think most of us in the season figured they'd, before the season, figured they'll split with Dallas. But getting crushed by Dallas, what was it? Those two teams scored on nine out of 11 possessions yes. or something like that? I mean, it was like horrible. It was terrible. Crazy. Yes, they couldn't right. stop. And then, and then the loss last week, just being unable to do anything offensively in the second half and then collapsing at the end as they did after they had replaced the defensive coordinator. It's, it's, it's a little ominous. I'm not going to go the way of some people on this station and some people around town of panic button and it's all over and so on, but it is ominous. And yeah, Jalen hurts is part of that in part. You can say his demeanor, but I think his demeanor is always what it is. And Mm -hmm. I think when things are going well, nobody's going to question his demeanor. So I'm I'm less concerned about that than I am just how poorly he's played. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't want to I don't want to rush off the Demeter question because you, you you seem to be more concerned about that than I am. So well, I'm concerned about it from this respect that it doesn't take a whole lot to get a team heading in the wrong way in that regard. And I, with respect to Hurts, I don't think the demeanor is as much of an issue as. It seems some people within the Eagles want it to be. Uh, and you can look at that and say maybe that's there's an agenda there with w- why that's coming out. You know, Not to take anything away from Jeff as a reporter. He's a great reporter. But people have an agenda when they talk to a reporter. And it seems mm-hmm. like uh, it's certainly plausible that somebody within the Eagles wants, might want it out there that you know, Jalen needs to do something different. Uh, you know, I think Jalen has more leverage uh, if you're a Seinfeld fan, he has more hand in this situation than a lot of people do because he's the franchise quarterback. He's the guy Jeffrey Lurie committed an additional $255 million to. If there are going to be changes that are going to be made, they're going to be made to try to help Jalen Hurts. You're not going to change anything about Jalen Hurts. Right, and and a guy's personality is what it is, right? I, I, the first time that this kind of – I heard it talked about this season was – after Elliott drills that field goal a couple of weeks ago to win yes. the game, yes, the camera goes on him and he's expressionless. And it's like, well, why isn't he excited? Because that's that's what he is, right? right. And, and why doesn't he rally the troops and rah, rah, Because he's not. And that's just I, – I don't think you can ask say to somebody, hey, change your personality. Um, he is a leader by his actions and by his methods, but he's not a rah-rah guy and he's not going to be, Okay. He's he's not gonna he's not gonna just turn into um, Coy Detmer or was it Ty Coy Detmer? Coy right? Detmer, yeah, yeah, with the uh, right. with the, yeah. the, the blade not, or whatever it was. The, right, the that's not, he's did. not gonna do the whip it. That right. ain't gonna be him. <laughs> he's he's gonna be who he is. Um, I think, and they gotta live with that. And that's he he's not. Listen, I heard comparisons this weekend to Carson Wentz. I'm yeah, like, we're uh-oh. not there yet. We're not. We've been through yet. this, and I don't think he's Carson Wentz because Carson Wentz was just as we learn, a bad teammate. I don't think in any way this guy's a bad teammate. I think he's a great teammate. Um, I think there's two issues here. Um, I think one is he's just not having a good season. I My hunch is that we will learn at some point he was more hurt or more affected by the injury than they ever let on. Which Bingo. Is, 
Yeah, I think that's going to be part of it. Yeah, he can't run, and if he can't, and which takes me to my second point, which I think the offense is predicated on him being able to run. And when Nick said this week, um, the offense is the offense. They, they were talking about just should Brian Johnson get uh, mm-hmm. uh, the same treatment as Sean Desai. And Sirianni said, the offense is my offense. Brian calls the plays. The criticism is on me. It's exi- it's the exact same offense as it's been last year and the year before. When I hear that, you know what I hear? I hear evolve or die. Yeah. If the offense is the exact same as it's been the year before, then you got a problem because, A, defenses have probably started to figure out it's predictable, and, B, I don't think your quarterback right now can run – the offense as efficiently as he did last year. You know, it's interesting, Glenn. I wrote a column about this for today. It's on Inquirer.com, kind of laying out the same scenario you and I just discussed. You know, they can still win out in the regular mm-hmm. season and maybe make a run. I read it, it. It was it was brilliant in, in up to and including the Flyers points. Oh, well, thank you very much. Yeah, big Princess Bride reference there right at the top, too, one of my favorite I, movies. I, I clipped the – I hit the link, the, the, the whatever, the hyperlink yeah. to see. Yeah, I like when you throw those. Oh, well, thank you. A- anyway, the, the reason I bring it up is that I've gotten a couple of readers who have said to me, hey, think back to 2017 in the Super Bowl year. You know, they caught a wave of momentum. Well, it wasn't momentum. To your point, Glenn, it was – Doug Peterson and Frank Reich sitting down and saying to Nick Foles, okay, Nick, what kind of offense would work best for you? And then Peterson and Reich implementing that offense, and the teams that they played in the postseason had no idea what kind of plays they were going to run, yeah, right? Yeah, it was brilliant. You it know, was, they, they brilliant. Belichick and Matt Patricia had no film to study because what the Eagles were doing they had not done before. Uh, I don't know that it would take that degree of adjustment, and I'm not sure you could do it offensively. Maybe Patricia does it a little bit defensively. Maybe he changes some things that is that allows him to kind of maximize the personnel. But this is what we're talking about here. We're, we're in this realm of talking about can they scrap what they've done or really adjust what they've done because what they're doing right now clearly isn't working. Let me cite a, a really good piece I read this week. Ben Solak, who's a guy who writes for The Ringer, uh, who I think is very good, kind of did a look at why has this offense gone stale. And he had a lot of different reasons, and he talked about being in motion and being behind the center, being in a shotgun, whatever. But one of the things that he said talked about Hurts not being the runner this year that mm-hmm. he was. And here's what he wrote. When we remove sneaks from the sample, only two quarterbacks have more design rushes this year than Hurts. Remember, he ran 13 times sick the yep. other night. Yes, he um, did. Uh, Lamar Jackson and Taysom Hill, who Taysom Hill doesn't really count. No. But at 5.3 yards per carry, Hertz has been one of the least effective running quarterbacks by yards gained. His success rate of 41% is below average, falling in line with Josh, Jobs, Josh Dobbs and Jordan Love. This is not the profile of a dynamic rushing quarterback, one who gives the offense a good reason to line up primarily in shotgun to serve his play style. I and I think that's what's going on here, mm-hmm. and I think that Hertz isn't going to get healthy this week, so it's on Sirianni to on the fly redesign the offense. I don't know about redesign, uh, mm. revamp, reconfigure, yeah, reconfigure, revamp, whatever re you want to start that's short of redesign, uh, in a way that helps his quarterback, protects his quarterback, and to cite Peterson in 2017, maybe surprises the other teams. Yeah, yeah, they're going to need that, and, and we're going to get into that throughout the show. We really have a, a jam-packed show coming up uh, for you over the next few hours. Uh, 11 o'clock, we're going to talk to Gary Myers, the longtime 
New York football writer, wrote for the New York Daily News for years, has a terrific book out uh, about the New York Giants and the 86 Giants and their Super Bowl team. Nobody understands the NFL, uh, in particular the NFC East, better than Gary. We're going to talk to him at 11 o'clock. Uh, 11.25, we're going to do kind of a wrap-up, year-ending what we're watching. Glenn, you're going to give the top ten shows you watch this year, correct? I'm telling people either have a pen and paper handy or be by a keyboard because I'm going to give you the ten best shows of the year, and everybody's going to watch want to watch these ten great shows that I watch. Okay, so Glenn's got his ten shows. I'm going to give you my top five just things that I saw this year because I don't have the time to watch as much as Glenn does. I have young children. He is a grandfather who stays home all the time. That's pretty much my life. (laughs) Hanging around. So I've got five things. Glenn's got ten. We'll do that at 1125. At noon, we're going to talk to the great Brian Baldinger and get into more of this kind of film breakdown theories and solutions for what can get the Eagles out of this funk kind of from a schematic standpoint. Uh, we also are going to have another terrific giveaway. Now, Glenn, last night you were at um, PCS Theater in Swarthmore. You're doing Young Frankenstein. Yeah, we had a great show last night. Great show. So we're going to give away two more tickets uh, to see Glenn in the hilarious Mel Brooks musical, Young Frankenstein, playing, as I said, at the PCS Theater in Swarthmore now through December 30th. Shows are today actually starting at 2 and 8. So my partner here is going to do the radio show until 1 and then go act in this hilarious musical twice today. Yes. I hope you're drinking your coffee and taking five-hour energy. And then do radio tomorrow morning. Yes. (sighs) Yes. The burdens are, they are heavy. Um, So for tickets to that, go to pcstheater.org. And here is our contest question of the day. What is a great moment? In the New York-Philadelphia sports rivalry, not just Eagles-Giants, but New York-Philadelphia as a whole, sports, that doesn't leap to mind right away. Kind of an underrated great moment, Dan Wilson. I see you kind of have this look in your face with a furrowed brow there in the, in the producer's booth. I'm not talking about the miracles at the Meadowlands. I'm not talking about Chase Utley's single against the Mets in 2007 to finish the sweep. I'm not talking about Chuck Bednarik on Frank Gifford. I'm talking about something a little more obscure that doesn't leap to mind right away when you think Philadelphia versus New York. You got one, Dave? Well, I have one. I feel comfortable taking one because we're going to play this later in the show. Okay. So so I'm not really taking away from the callers here. Uh, Lane Johnson's touchdown two years ago against the Giants. It would be be a good example. That's a good one. I I have a couple. I know, Glenn, you have a couple. We'll hold on to them. Uh, and reveal them later in the show. And, of course, we will be taking your calls at 215-592-9494. He is Glenn Macnow. I am Mike Sielski, and this is WIP. It did not... Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Go down in the end is an incomplete pass. It went down as a sack for Eagles defensive tackle Jalen Carter. Uh, and that was of great benefit to my partner, Glenn Mack. Now I am Mike Sealski here on WIP. And Glenn, you and I have been engaged in, I think, a really, really good stupid football bet for this entire Eagles season. And you are hot on my tail right now with this. Well, maybe. I got a little momentum back. This is an epic stupid football bet. Of all the ones I've made over the years, uh, with Ray, for the most part, this is one of the best ones, and it is the stupid sack bet in which you have all your hopes pinned on one guy. Granted, that guy is he's a great player. Hassan uh, Reddick. Yep, number seven, uh, who has 11 sacks this season, whereas I got a whole contingent of players, which is the Eagles draft classes out of Georgia in the last two years, which is Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis and Nolan Smith and N'Kobe Dean and Keely Ringo, and I got nine. Yep. Uh, Jalen Carter's was his fifth of the year. He's my big hope right now. Uh, he's he's my guy. Yeah. So it was weird. It's five minutes into the into the fourth quarter. Eagles are up seventeen to ten. Seattle had uh, driven from its own thirty to the Eagles twenty six. Third and two. And as you kind of heard, Drew Lock throws one. It's ruled incomplete. Here is the weird part. Mm. Pete Carroll takes a timeout. Yes, there. yes. I guess he was deciding, is he going to go for it on fourth and two down a touchdown at the 26th, or was he going to kick a field goal? And him thinking about it gave the Eagles time to take a look, long look at the replay. His knee locks, knee was down. Jalen Carter gets the sack. Jason Myers hits the field goal, 17-13. But more importantly, <laughs> I get the point. Yes, so... This is going to be really interesting. I mean, I think we're going to go down to the wire here because Lord knows the Giants and the Cardinals are going to be susceptible to a pass rush. And I hope so. Yeah. And, oh, well, there were just two sacks last week. Yep. Yep. You know, and Seattle did not come in with a highly tatted offensive line. So the defensive line has really just kind of dropped off. Well, well, this gets us to the big thing, I guess you'd say, that happened this week, and the, and the two, the stupid football bet and this big thing, are kind of tied together, which is that the day after we did our Saturday show, uh, Sunday, the day before the Eagles played the Seahawks, they, of course, reveal through Jay Glazer and other insiders around the NFL that they've demoted their defensive coordinator, Sean Desai, and basically handed all of the responsibilities for calling the defense over to Matt Patricia and the pencil-eared one. Uh, so this, to me, Glenn, raises the issue. Do you think there's any chance that Patricia, now that he's settled in, now that he's got a game under his belt and has got another full week of looking over the defense and preparing and thinking about how he wants to do things, is it possible at all that there's going to be an adjustment that frees up either Carter or Reddick or someone else among the defensive linemen and linebackers to create some more pressure, because right now that's the 
to me, one of the biggest problems with this defense, we can talk about the linebackers and the secondary all we want. This defense is predicated on harassing, pressuring, sacking the opposing quarterback, and they're not doing it right now. Yeah, I hope so. Um, and one of the things that is, has been a truism all year and remains so last week, and again, we're talking about we're having Brian Balling on later and, and Gary Myers and guys who really know how to break it down. Dan Orlovsky is a guy who does mm-hmm. great breakdowns. Yes. Of it. And one of the things he pointed out this week is why do the Eagles not run stunts yeah. with the defensive linemen? Why don't they get creative? That the line couldn't get to the quarterback all game and there were no stunts called. And I think one or two blitzes all day, and I'm not going to be the Buddy Ryan, let's send everybody, but all they're doing is sending the four guys, and they're not getting there. Uh, Josh Sweat particularly has gone through a really bad stretch. So what I will choose to believe is that Matt Patricia, now that he has had another week to really kind of look at what he's got, understandably, he didn't walk in last week. He's been around all year. But now that he's got another week – let's say, to communicate it to his players in a way he couldn't when he was just an advisor, will be more creative with a defense that has, we said the offense was stale, well, the defense is stagnant. Yeah, no, you're 100% right about that, and I wouldn't be opposed to seeing something different from the defense just because what they've been doing really hasn't worked. And again, you can talk about the linebackers and they're not good there, and you can talk about the secondary and how poorly James Bradbury played on Monday night. But the fact is, the defense is built on getting after the quarterback, and it hasn't been doing that to the extent that it needs to. Having said all that, Mike and Brumoff is optimistic that the Eagles, I think, are going to win a close game this weekend against the Giants. Mike, is that how you're feeling? Yeah, what's up? Yeah, man. I'm, I just, I don't know. I hope you guys are right. I hope that they can make some adjustments and bring, put some more pressure on uh, on Tommy Cutlets up there, you know, because I don't know what's going to happen with the offense. I mean, I really hope that you know. They can adjust and you know do do some you know do some different things. Get the ball, use the middle of the field a little bit more. I mean, I hope. J- I mean, you know, everybody saw the you know, everybody saw the videos with guys are wide open and Jalen's forcing the ball down the field. Man, mm-hmm. dude, just take what the defense gives you. Yeah, you yeah, know, it's it's inter- it's it's interesting, Mike. It's one of the really kind of cool and interesting, and I think kind of controversial developments in watching pro football over the last several years is that film being available for people to see. Sometimes it helps you better understand what's happening on the field. Often it does that, Glenn. But the other flip side to it is we also don't know what the play was supposed to be all of the time, right? And so it might lead us to draw some conclusions that aren't ex- actually accurate. Well, according to the coach, one of the plays was supposed to be pass interference. Yeah. That, that- he was that he was scheming and hoping for pass interference, which – I think he's saying that just to cover for his quarterback because... Or maybe he's saying it to, to cover for his play caller. I mean, that's possible, too. Maybe that, he's playing to cover for... Because hope is a bad strategy. Yeah, yeah, especially in that situation, right? Like, you're not... You didn't need a touchdown. You needed a field goal to tie the game. You only had so much time left. I know they've gotten pass interference calls in the past, and that's maybe that is actually part of what they're looking for there, but it just seemed ill-advised um, to try that play, you know, game, situation, context, all of that kind of stuff. Um, it just didn't seem the right thing to do. And, you know, I think to Mike's point, and we can get into this with Baldy later in the show, again, I've never been a, Glenn, you know me, I've never been a run-the-ball-more kind of guy, um, but they may have to do a little bit more of it and or more accurately do it better to kind of get this offense grounded again. I think they need to do it a lot more and a lot better. I think that 
against Seattle, it seemed like that was going to work, and once again, they just abandoned it. Yeah, yeah, and as we said, Hurts not playing well. Clearly, that knee is bothering him, I think, a little more than he's letting on, uh, and they've got to get some stuff straightened out. Uh, Jason from Rhode Island wants to talk about the Flyers, which we were going to get to later in the show, Jason, I promise, but uh, what are your thoughts there? Hey guys, how you doing? Mike, Good. Um, nice job replacing the legend, Ray Diddy. Thank Hold you. On. I appreciate that, Jason. Uh, I was encouraged by you know their come from behind loss in the shootout last night. Uh, you the, the Flyers from the last few years typically would lose that game uh, being down five one. I was wondering what your gut tells you. Are they going to are they going to keep this going? Well, actually, and I said, as I said, and thanks for the call, Jason, we're, we, Glenn and I were going to get into this later in the show, but we can do it a little bit now. Um, I think, Glenn, that they're fun to watch. They are playing hard every night. They are winning games because they are playing hard and generally relentlessly every night. But the fact is that we are not yet at Christmas. We are not at, yet at January 1st. And so other teams aren't playing that way yet. They will after the new year. There'll be a lull in February because there always is. Teams hit a, hit a wall, and then March will come around and the playoffs will be on the horizon. And these teams that the Flyers are able to beat now or stay with now because it's this time of year are going to ramp it up, and it's going to be more difficult for the Flyers to win the kind of games they're winning now. Yeah, and um, the coach said something to this effect after the game the other day, which is if we think we can play. It, it's funny because everybody thinks, wow, they're playing really well. And then, you know, here comes the reality check from Tortorella who says, if we think we can play this way when teams start forechecking, it ain't going to happen, um, which I like. Listen, I appreciate that he had that honesty. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, can I give you now my – because we are giving away the theater tickets yes. for the best underrated moment in Philadelphia New York sports history because mine is a Flyers one. Okay, yeah, let's so, do it. All right, I'm going back to 1995. The Rangers were the Stanley Cup champion – defending Stanley Cup champions. They meet the Flyers in the playoffs, and the Flyers swept them in four. Uh, and I'm going to take you back to game two in overtime um, – you remember Gary Dornhofer played for the Flyers sure. and then was a long-time color guy, very popular guy. Gene Hart on the call. This is overtime of game two against the defending Stanley Cup champion Rangers. Flyers trying to get out with it, and it's dropped nicely to Renberg. By, oh, Renberg is joined now by, by Holler. Holler's there. Shoot! Spectrum. Little known fact, Glenn Mack, now they had to shock Dorney back to life after that call <laughs> because he had a minor heart attack. He was great. He was great. Um, first of all, I was at that game, and it was, a, it was a great moment, and we hated the Rangers back then. I don't mm-hmm. know that we hate them any less now, but the rivalry was really good back then. Flyers played them in the playoffs, then they played them in the playoffs again in 1997. Right, in which the turned out finals, to be, yeah. Yeah, it was Gretzky and Messier's last playoff game. So they met a lot back then, and there was, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. But that was a great one. But when I called it up yesterday, like, the iconic call of this generation is Bedlam at the Bank. Yeah. 
I did not remember Dorney going Bedlam at the Spectrum. I, I did not either. And I remember watching that game. I was in college. I was 20 years old. I had grown up a huge Flyers fan, and they had been so bad for so long. They had gone five years without making the playoffs, and they had brought in Lindros, and then they make the big trade for John LeClaire and Eric Desjardins, and they're finally back in the playoffs. And they won the first two games of that series in overtime at the Spectrum, and that was the yeah. second one, and that got them into the conference finals. And you thought at the time, wow, this is going to be a great team for a long time with the sport's best player. And, of course, it was bittersweet from there on out. All right, you didn't have to wreck the team. Well, I, you know, I'm I just was, telling was, you, it's, it's there with me, I'm knocking Glenn. the Rangers out, and you're telling me about <laughs> the disappointment and how, yeah, they ran into Martin Brodeur, and all of a sudden it was a hex he had the Bad Claude Lemieux, all yeah, yeah, all of that. I'm sorry, but it, it stays with me, Glenn. As somebody who grew up a Flyers fan. Yeah, those early scars. Yeah, you know. I, know. I was born I know. a month after the second Stanley Cup. But, I, I, oh, I'm the reason for the bad karma. Yes. So. But nonetheless, we are looking for a great underrated or perhaps forgotten moment in New York-Philadelphia rivalry, and I thought that was a good one. That, that's a great one. I will save mine uh, for later in the show. Mine's even a little more obscure. Like yours, it's a, it's one uh, that I was there to witness, uh, and it did, in a similar kind of way, kind of usher in, I think, a, an era, a different era, a more upbeat era for a particular team in town. But I want to hear from folks uh, who remember a particular moment like that. And again, nothing too obvious, not the Sean Jackson's punt return or Chuck Bednarik's hit or anything like that. We want something a little off the beaten path. And we'll take your suggestions at 215 215- 592-9494. We'll take your calls when we get back. Again, we got Gary Myers at 11, Brian Baldinger at noon, uh, and we'll go over the Eagles and the Flyers and the Sixers and whatever else you got going on here at 94 WIP. All right. You know, I had a chance to catch up with my friends from Meridian Bank this week along with one of their business banking partners. And over the years, I've met several business owners they work with, and every time I am just blown away at how highly these people speak of Meridian Bank and their relationship. And you know what? Knowing the team at Meridian, it's no surprise they're the preferred bank of businesses and entrepreneurs because Meridian itself, they're entrepreneurial. They know how to listen to great ideas and understand innovative thinking. Learn how Meridian Bank can help your business succeed at meridianbanker.com. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. 94 WIP. Mike Sealski here with Glenn Mack now, and got a couple people who want to weigh in on the Eagles, so we'll, uh, we will hear from them. Here's Kevin and Limerick, who thinks the quarterback is the problem. Kevin, explain yourself. Kevin? Kevin, you there? Hey, hey, hey I'm here. I had to get off uh, the Bluetooth. Yep. Hey, um, I was looking at a podcast with Q&A, and Q, I mean, hey, he can break that thing down. Jalen is as you guys had mentioned earlier, on that, that throw in the corner to that was intercepted, mm-hmm. you had a man crossing, which was Devontae Smith. Uh, he, he doesn't seem to be taking what's there. And the, the San Francisco game, oh, my goodness, every pass play, he was backing out and, and making plays, uh, you know, trying to make big plays out of simple throws. 
Yeah, I think that's that's an issue both for Jalen, Kevin, and for the offense as a whole. You hear Nick Sirianni talk about this all the time, about the way to win in the NFL is to make big plays. And that's what they want out of the offense. And I wonder, to your point, if they've gotten so tunnel vision-like about it that they are coming up small in these situational football decisions. Glenn, I don't know how you feel about that. Well, I, I agree with Kevin in the sense that this was – the end of the game was a really obvious situation, right? I forget. There's You have two timeouts and there's, whatever, 13, 15 seconds to go, and you have arguably the best kicker in the league, a guy who won a game two weeks ago with a 58-yarder, however, maybe four weeks ago now. And so the trick is let's get about another 15 to 20 yards and kick the field goal and go to overtime – and he threw that ridiculous pass, and guys were open. We all saw the film afterward that guys were open. I don't think that Sirianni wanted him to make that pass to A.J. Uh, Brown. I, I think a lot of this is on Jalen Hurts. Right. Two, just two quick other points. Uh, with Hurts, again, I love him to death, but you got to call it as it is. Sometimes a quarterback, he's out there playing the game. He has to know the situation and, 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 and adjust. I think sometimes he predetermines the play. A.J. Brown's in his head. And the last point, we're going to need younger corners and more physical ones. And, Mike, Mike, I think you do a great job replacing Ray. Uh, they couldn't have picked anybody better. But here's the other question. Who's going to replace Merle Reese? Have a great holiday. <laughs> Kevin, thanks Nobody's so much for the call. Replace Merrill Nobody's going to replace Merrill. Merrill has no plans on retiring at all. Uh, it's not even something that he wants to entertain. It's not a topic he wants to talk about. Discuss this. It, it is. I, I will say this, Glenn, to Kevin's point. I, I think Jalen is a quarterback who plays on cues, for instance. I think that last interception, for instance, in the game against Seattle, he sees single high safety on that play, and his immediate reaction to that is, I know I'm supposed to go to A.J. in that situation, because, just because I see the alignment that the Seahawks are in, I wonder if there is growth that needs to take place there. I wonder if that's something that Brian Johnson and Nick Sirianni need to work with him on or at least take into account when they're calling plays and scheming up the offense. Uh, I don't know. I don't know is enough about it to be able to say, okay, on that play, it's Jalen's fault or it's the play caller's fault or it's this or it's that. To me, it's never just the one thing. Well, yeah, well, it's never just one thing, but I don't know that I can blame the play caller because guys were open on the play. Mm. So the play succeeded in the terms of getting guys open. Now, was I think that Jalen said, or A.J. said, I, mean, I think it was A.J. Brown said, that A.J. was the primary receiver. He yes. was the number one receiver. Yeah, that's a shot that play, he said, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't mean he's the guy you have to throw the ball to. He's your first option, okay? And as you look down the field, he's kind of covered. Mm-hmm. And they got a second guy coming back there, and it's a... Uh, high-risk, high-reward play, which is not really what you want at the time, so let's look at option two. Ooh, there's Dallas Goddard wide open. Ooh, there's Devontae. He's open too. So even if it was the play design, it doesn't make it the right throw. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Nick in Collegeville has some concerns, I think, about the defensive line. Nick, what you got? Uh, Before I speak defensive or offensive line uh, or quarterback options, uh, got them to see Thursday night, Glenn. You coming to see me? Oh, good. I, listen, I, I really I, think yeah. you'll enjoy the play. It's a lot of laughs. Okay, my my wife loves loves that movie, so she's, I'm going to surprise yeah. her. She doesn't know anything. Quick question: You don't, maybe you're not allowed to say it all on the air, but maybe you can tweet it out. There's a tavern right down the street, part of like a hotel. 
Yeah. And there's uh, like an Italian restaurant down the street. Which yeah, do good. you prefer when it comes to uh, getting some pre-dinner? I like the Italian uh, restaurant myself, but they're both good. Okay. Yeah, but the Italian restaurant's a little small, right? Kind of yeah. need to get in there. Yeah. Okay. Make um, a reservation. First of all, uh, I, I think Jalen's not seeing the field. And I think Jalen uh, – I don't want to give him ex- no excuses for him. He's been a quarterback here for three years, and he got paid tons of money. So, better he needs better decision making. People like rip Purdy because he takes easy stump offs. But when your team is that powerful, I think I heard a, re- a reference years ago. Like if you have a Ferrari, then then just start it up and start going. Like you don't have to go 100 miles an hour right away. Just just use the car. It's a sports car. It can do anything it wants. Do what it, what you can. Not what, what don't force it. Defensively, I think. When it comes to these sacks versus last year, like all these rookies and second-year Georgia, Alabama, SEC players, and just you know, just second and first-year players, mm-hmm. they're exhausted. They're not used to this. I know like your second year mm-hmm. should be you should be used to the NFL schedule. It's 18 games now. It's no longer 16. It's way above what college players do, and I truly believe it takes them two years to get their stamina back. And they were in a world. They were in a Super Bowl. They were literally in the Super Bowl, so they played more games than any other team except for yeah, Kansas City. I, I got to tell you, this seems like yeah, a thanks, real Nick. excuse. They, they they got guys on this team who, yeah, they have some young guys, but they also have a lot of veteran guys. Yeah, you know, I think it's two things there, Glenn. Number one, I think there's a bit of attrition when it comes to players like Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. It doesn't have to be huge, but Brandon Graham had 11 sacks last season as a part-time defensive end. It was a career high. Mm-hmm. He's not quite there this season. Doesn't make him not valuable. It just means he's not what he was last season. Uh, and it doesn't take much at this stage of his career to just slough off a little bit. And the other factor I would say is we are leaving out how good Javon Hargrave was <laughs> last season for this team. He was really good. Yeah. And as good as Jordan Davis and certainly Jalen Carter have been, they miss Hargrave uh, quite a bit. They miss say. Hargrave. I think the big downturn has been Josh Sweat, and I that one I can't explain because he had a very good year last year, and I thought he started this year well, and uh, over the last month, he's done nothing to help the team. Hey, we uh, maybe we got to put the call out more for underrated Philadelphia yeah. New York sports moments because there are a zillion of them that people could go to. And we, Dan Wilson, do us a favor, kind of try to prime people up a little bit for it. But I think there are a, a ton. I know you had one. Maybe yours will get people going. I, I do. And this is might be a, even a little obscure for what we're doing here. But he, here's mine. And I was, like you, I was there for this moment. It was in June of 2006. The New York Yankees were in town to play a three-game series with the Phillies. And, Dan, I don't know. We might have sound of this that we can pull at some point. Ryan Howard hit two home runs and had a triple and drove in seven runs in one game in that series against the Yankees. The Phillies ended up losing this game 8-7. to seven. The Yankees came back and, and won the game in the top of the ninth inning. But Howard hit a ball into the third deck of Citizens Bank Park in his first at-bat against Mike Mussina. He homered off Mussina in his second at-bat. Mm-hmm. He then hit a two-run triple in, I think, the bottom of the seventh or eighth inning to put the Phillies ahead. And it was his revelation, I think, completely and totally to the world of baseball. Yeah, he had been the rookie of the year of the year before, but holy cow, here was this guy who drove in seven runs against the Yankees. He, of course, goes on and wins the MVP that season. And that, to me, was kind of the kickstart of that era of Phillies baseball where they're winning the division every year and they win the World Series in 08 
and Howard is probably the most feared power hitter in the game. That's pretty good, and I mean, I you know, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about Philly's Mets moments. I hadn't considered the Yankees, but yeah, that was kind of a coming out party, and it yeah, was and that, that team kind of arriving, and what was what was going to happen the year after that, and for the next five years. Let's you know, Dan Wilson is a intrepid producer. He came up with the sound of the first home run that Ryan Howard hit that night. Towering drive. Watch this baby. First time we've seen a ball, the first time I've seen a ball go in the upper, upper deck. We usually say the upper deck, meaning the second deck. This in the third deck, just behind the autotrader.com sign. You know, Glenn, there's something about it being two days before Christmas and hearing Harry Callis call a home run that's pretty darn cool. I was going to say, we got Gene Hart and Harry Callis into the first hour of this show. Not bad. Along with Gary Dornhofer in L.A. Yeah. So. We just we need some Dave Zinkoff and yeah. maybe some Jim Barniak for yeah, the real old really. schoolers. No, that's great. That, that's great. And that's a good one. And, and, again, there should be some really good New York-Philadelphia moments that are not the obvious ones, that are a bit the underrated ones. Yeah, and, and, again, the contest is two tickets to see Glenn in Young Frankenstein, the Mel Brooks music, musical, excuse me, at the PCS Theater in Swarthmore, now through December 30th. He, Glenn actually has shows today at 2 o'clock. Two of them. Yes, at, come eight today. O'clock. Come two today. 2 o'clock and 8 o'clock. If you want your tickets, go to pcstheater.org. When are you coming? I'm I am sorry. coming I, on I, <laughs> I'm I coming on Thursday. Read. I'm coming on Thursday okay. uh, with friends. We got six of us coming to see you. Uh, as the blind hermit in Young Frankenstein. It's one of my favorite movies. I've never seen the musical version. Yeah, it's uh, pretty funny. But uh, looking forward to it very much. And looking forward to taking more of your calls and more of your New York Philly moments at 215-592-9494. Coming up at 11 o'clock in just a couple minutes, we got Gary Myers talking Eagles-Giants. we got Brian Baldinger at noon, what we're watching at 1125. All kinds of stuff here on 94 WIP. All right. Well, uh... If your home is in need of new windows and doors, but maybe you decided to brave through one more cold season before making the plunge, well, let me tell you, acting now is not only going to keep your family feeling warm all winter long while lowering your high heating bills, it's also going to save you big bucks with the big end-of-the-year sale from the great people at Guided or Window. Guided is bringing back the biggest discounts of the year. Receive 40% off each window you buy. Yeah, 40% off every professionally installed window And you'll also receive 40% off any door, including entry doors, patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. Don't worry about touching your holiday money. God is going to start your project with no money down. Going to allow you to pay it off interest-free for up to 12 months. If you need new windows and doors, you need to go guide it right now so you can take advantage of these huge savings. All prior sales excluded. Offer expires December 31st. So call Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Well, there's not much more fun than when an offensive lineman gets the score, and that was Lane Johnson against the Giants as we're reliving some of those moments. And a guy who has seen, oh, thousands of them from both sides, uh, one of the most respected guys I have in this business, Gary Myers, joins us. Gary is uh, – you can follow him on Twitter, at Gary Myers, M-Y-E-R-S, New York, and he is the author – of a great book sitting on my bookshelf. I'm looking at it right now. Once a Giant, a Story of Victory, Tragedy, Life After Football, all about the 86 Super Bowl 
uh, Giants, Amazon bestseller. How are you, Gary? Glenn, Mike, how are you guys doing this morning? Doing, doing well, great. Gary. Thanks. Um, let's start with the talk of the town, the toast of the town. What is your impression of Giants quarterback Tommy DeVito? Does does Tommy Cutlets have a starter upside, or his 15 minutes of fame going to end one of these days? Well, this this is a true battle of you know the culinary delights of Philadelphia and cheesesteaks and <laughs> northern New Jersey and chicken cutlet parmesan heroes. Yeah, well, um, there you go. <laughs> you know, perfect. Yeah. You know, you're I just want a tuna uh, hoagie, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's um, it, it's one of those things. Like he talents, and you have to remember, guys. The teams that he beat were Washington, one of the worst teams in the league. New England, one of the worst teams in the league, and a and a Packers team that we've since found out is not very good. Although they were on a little bit of a roll when he beat him on that Monday night game, and it just shows how starved uh, New York fans are after a dreadful baseball season and even more dreadful football season to kind of latch on to any sign of hope. Mm. This, this guy is, is like, I made the comparison. He's not Kurt Warner who played at Northern Iowa and was stocking grocery shelves and went and played in Europe and all kinds of silly leagues that don't exist anymore and came out of nowhere and was Super Bowl MVP in his first year playing. Tommy DeVito played in the ACC at Syracuse for four years. He played in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, Illinois for a year. He was playing on big stages, and apparently nobody thought he was good enough to draft. And the Giants had no intention of playing him this year. They were kind of forced into it. And the first game that he came in was against the Jets in one of the worst football games played in the over 100-year history of the NFL. <laughs> um, seriously, I mean, it was just – it was unwatchable. Yeah. He had to come in towards the end of the second quarter when Tyrod Taylor got hurt. And Brian Dable didn't let it. He tried to sit on like a three-point lead for the entire yeah. second half. Yeah. He yeah. wouldn't let DeVito throw the ball until it was too late. And then he was just throwing these you know, quick uh, out patterns. So they had no faith in him. It's a fun story. Who knows how long it'll last. Um, and it's you know, given a little life, like I said, for uh, – a, a Giants season that ended on opening night when they lost 40 nothing. A Jets season that af- ended after the fourth play when Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles. So, Gary, what does this mean, if anything? It doesn't. And, and I, based on what you, how you responded to Glenn's question, I think I already know your answer to this. Mm-hmm. But what's the effect of Devito playing at the end of this season on Daniel Jones and the Giants' commitment to him? You know, Mike, Daniel Jones is coming off a neck injury, which he was able to come back from this year. And then his first game back, he tore his ACL. And it didn't happen the first week in September. It had happened halfway through the season. So who knows exactly when he'll be ready? I mean, he's shooting for the start of the season. Whether he's ready for training camp, I don't know. I mean, guys recover at different rates. So the Giants, it's not like the Giants can go into next season thinking, well, if Daniel Jones isn't ready, at least we got – Tommy DeVito to turn to at the beginning of the year, they're going to have to sign an, an established veteran quarterback uh, to, to come in to guard against uh, Jones not being ready and against DeVito being like, uh, let's think of a clever name. It won't be like a, a one hit wonder, like a, a one 
Chicken Cutlet Hero Wonder or something like that. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, I haven't seen enough of him. Now, listen, if he if he goes if the Eagles need, need to win their last three games, and we're assuming they they will at this point, and Devito beats him twice in three weeks. Oh gosh. Oh boy. You know, get, have me back on, and I'll have a different opinion. Oh. But until I see it, I don't believe it. And it's just kind of a fun story about a local kid living at home at 25 years old. His mommy still makes his bed and makes him dinner at night and, you know, saving him money. I don't know about you guys, but I lived at home for a couple of years after college sure. to save money. Absolutely. Know, so, but I wasn't an NFL me. quarterback, Gary. Well, but you know what? He lives 12 minutes from the stadium. No, I know. And when he I decided know. to do this, he was making practice squad money. And – who knew? He had no idea how long this was going to last. He could have been out of a job after three weeks and been stuck with an apartment in northern New Jersey, and the rents aren't you know that manageable. Yeah. So I don't blame him for that. No, I, listen, I, the whole thing's it's it's an adorable story that you know I hope yeah. ends on Monday. Um, in terms of its adorableness, <laughs> so we have seen the. Eagles I have one loop. little tidbit I want to give you guys. Yeah, sure, though. sure. There's only one giant currently on the roster who has won a game as a giant in Philadelphia because they have a 10-game losing streak yeah, in Philly. Say, and that's yeah. a decade. Justin Pugh in 2013, who was their first-round pick, and he was gone for a few years to Arizona and, and you know came back in the middle of this season. But other than that, the Giants, there's no giant that's won a game in Philadelphia, and I don't anticipate that changing on Monday. Well, that's kind of where I wanted to go, which is mm-hmm. we have seen the Eagles really slide in the last three games, uh, yeah. particularly the, the loss to Seattle was a stunner here. Yeah. Uh, and they're hefty favorites on Monday. But who or what, from looking at the Giants, looking at the matchup as you look at the mm-hmm. league, who or what do the Eagles need to worry about in this game? I, I think it's actually more <clears> – can <throat> the Giants get some pressure – on on Jalen Hurts. Now you guys would know more than me about this, but he doesn't look the same physically. And whether his knee is bothering him, um, it, it certainly looks that way. Yeah, but we you agree. know, Kayvon yes. Thibodeau has come on this year in his second year, and he's he's become a a fairly dynamic pass rusher. He's not Michael Strahan, but he's giving him some pressure. And Dexter Lawrence is one of the best players in the league who doesn't get any attention at defensive tackle, but you know, truthfully, guys, I don't think as long as the Eagles are healthy, I was going to say as long as Hurts is healthy, I don't think the Eagles have anything to worry about in these two games against the Giants. They're just not very good, and I know everybody in Philly is is really concerned about what's going on. The Eagles, and rightfully so, they're slumping at the absolute wrong time of the season. But let's remember that the, the 49ers had a three-game losing streak. They just happened to do it. And they lost at Cleveland, Minnesota, and Cincinnati, and they were five and three, and people were panicking out there. But then it got mar- buried and lost in the middle of the season because they haven't lost since then, and they've been on you know steamrolling people. You know the Eagles had a tough stretch these three, and I'm not making excuses by any means, but the three games they lost, you know San Francisco, Dallas, and at Seattle, those were all d- tough games, and they got stacked there at a bad time for the Eagles when they seem, you know, when Hurts doesn't seem to be 100%. So the NFL office did the Eagles a tremendous favor with the scheduling now. 
I mean, can you have handpicked three better games to try to get yourself well <laughs> going into the playoffs than the Giants, Arizona, and the Giants? We're talking to Gary Myers, longtime New York football writer. Gary, I want to I want to build on that. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I want to build yeah, on that ahead, real Mike. quickly. Yeah. Um, because I do think, and this is something Glenn and I have talked on the show about before, and this is something I've written about at the Inquirer, is that I think the national perception of the Eagles and the local perception of the Eagles, meaning around here in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. are very different. I think that... Yes, people are freaking out here in Philly and very concerned about Jalen Hurts and the three-game losing streak and the possibility of the postseason and all that. And there's certainly been some some national criticism of them. But I get the sense, and, and you would know this better than Glenn or mm-hmm. me, that the broader NFL picture, people, when they look at the Eagles in that context, see uh, not a Goliath, but one of the best teams and best franchises in the NFL and you know, they might take a look at the Giants and the Jets or other franchises around the NFL and say, what are people in Philadelphia complaining about? The Eagles are in the mix every year, and they're in the mix again this season, so don't worry about a three-game losing streak. Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to finish 13-4. and four. And I think pretty much everybody would have signed up for that at the beginning of the season. It's just the fact that they, you know, lost to the other two teams in the NFC that they're going to have to get past to um, to get back to the Super Bowl. And it's really hard. It's hard getting to back-to-back Super Bowls. It's even harder, I think, for a team that lost it, yeah. and especially the way they lost it at the end. It's just – I think it's a big mental hurdle to try to get over as, as you have to run it back and, and try to do it again. They still have a really good chance to win the division because the Cowboys' schedule is, is tougher. They go to Miami, and they, they still have Detroit. Um so I, I would I would think the Eagles you know have a better chance to win the division than the Cowboys do just based on the last three games and um, you know this is what I tell people Giant fans who you know until last year they hadn't won a playoff game since the 2011 Super Bowl and I say to them since the Giants won their first Super Bowl in 1986 how many teams do you think have won more than the Giants or Super Bowls in the last 37 years and you know I get this quizzical look and I said it's only the Patriots. Yeah. You know, with their six. So, like, kind of shut up. How would you like to be a Lions fan? You know, how would you like to be a Jets fan? Oh, gosh, yes. You know, it's been 54 years since they won it, and they haven't been back. You know, so people get lost in the moment, and rightfully so. The NFL has become – it's incredible. I've been covering them since – leaks in 78. It is more a week-to-week league now than it ever has been. Long-range determinations are made on short-term results on Monday morning based on how your team did the day before or on Thursday or Monday night or whatever. And everything is based on the last result. And people tend to forget the big picture and or, or ignore the big picture. And, again, if, if we're sitting here in three weeks and the Eagles are anything but 13-4 and four in all these must games, then – yeah, there's going to be a concern, especially if they don't win the division. But I don't imagine that happening. Yeah. I think they're going to probably blow out the Giants on Monday. Um, and it's really important to win the division and be the two seed uh, if they can because you don't want to have to go on the road um, or play that extra playoff. I mean, you got to play an extra playoff game. But you do. And, well, you, you don't just, want to you, be the you drop from a two to You drop from a two to a five seed, which is, yeah. which is a whole different ballgame. Yep. 
We have time Which for is exactly just... what I envision happening to Dallas. Yes. They'll be the five seed. They'll go and win at the NFC South champion. And then they'll have to go to San Francisco and they'll get crushed again. Yeah, so the, well. the Eagles want to avoid the five seed at all costs. Absolutely. So they at least get that home playoff game. All right, we have time for a couple more questions. Yeah, and I'm just curious what you uh, see the league thinking of Nick Sirianni total package. Well, I don't know what the league thinks of him. I can tell you what I think. I think for a guy who, um, all right, he got to a Super Bowl last year, hasn't won it. So, you know, credit to him. But, boy, he he, walk, he walks around the sidelines there like, uh, like he invented the game. And he's so annoying, unless he's your coach, with those silly faces that he makes. And I, I don't know. Uh, as a strategist, I mean, he's been good enough to get to a Super Bowl and, and, and have them in pretty good shape this year. But, uh, I mean, it's not like I'd put him in the top ten coaches in the NFL at this point by any means. And uh, I, I guess in Philadelphia he's gotten over that opening press conference that you guys – Yeah, he's, lo- you know, yeah, he's, he's way past that. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, that's, that's well, in let the, me, in let the me turn it around. Past. What do you guys think of him? I don't like I don't like the the sideline stuff, Gary. I'll be very yeah. frank, and I've written this before. I think it's an interesting dynamic between him and Jalen Hurts because somehow the 25 year old franchise quarterback comes off publicly, uh, and in many ways, I think behind closed doors, as more mature than the 42 year old yeah. head coach. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like the quarterback a lot. I'm, I have to admit, I'm really surprised at the success he's had. He seems to be a really good leader. He seems to be accountable. Um, and that, that's what you want. Now he doesn't have the greatest skill set in the league, but um, he, he seems to be, you know, a big game player. And you know, last three weeks, notwithstanding, all big games that they didn't win. But you know, he didn't lose the game. I mean, he didn't play great against Seattle. But you know, can the defense make a stop in that situation uh, against a quarterback that? Probably people in Philadelphia didn't know much about going into the game. Drew Locke, he let Drew Locke go down the field and beat you in that moment. I mean, that that wasn't on him. He had the game won until that play or until that drive. So uh, I think the perspective in Philly would be a lot different on Sirianni maybe and and certainly the quarterback if they just closed out that game. Okay, Uh, last one. Because we mm-hmm. are, and we're talking to Gary Myers uh, from New York, author of Once a Giant, a story of victory, tragedy, life after football. It's a great, the stories in that book are just tremendous. Uh, we've been doing a theme today of great moments in New York, Philadelphia, sports rivalry, any of the four sports. I know you're a fan of them. What's your favorite moment in a rivalry? I know I'm catching you off guard with this, but I, I know you're apt, able to do it. What's your favorite yeah, moment? In any of these rivalries, any Philly New York rivalry? Yeah. Yep. Well, I, I full disclosure, I'm a huge Mets fan, mm-hmm. and I was able to be that way because I never covered baseball. I've been a Mets fan since 1962. So, and we follow you on people... Twitter. I see your aggravation. We, we, <laughs> this is not a surprise to anybody. <laughs> so, um, anytime the Mets beat the Phillies, it's a good day in my house. My kids are all Mets fans, but. Honestly, the greatest Philadelphia, New York moment um, actually was came in 1978 because of the sheer 
historic value of it as it turned out. Nothing, no play, maybe the Kyrie catch in the Super Bowl will be as shocking as the fumble. Yeah. The miracle of the Meadowlands. It was one of the it was one of the great things I've ever seen. Because I mean, how stupid do you have to be not to kneel on the ball in that situation? Yeah. But Sartre tries to hunt it up to Zanka, former Jets coach, and we knew that at the time. I mean, future Jets coach, Herm Edwards, picks it up and runs. And I was working for the Associated Press. This will, I'll make this really fast. I was working for the Associated Press at that time, and the whole idea was to have your story done before the game was over so we can get it on the wire. And yeah. UPI. Yeah. Ray Dinger tells the same story, by the way. He was there as well. Yeah. So I have my whole story dictated to the legendary sports writer, Hal Bach, in the New York office. Mm -hmm. I'm counting down the seconds, and I said, Hal, I think you better turn around and watch this because I'm going to need help rewriting this in about six (laughs) seconds. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm going, you know, a couple of expletives were thrown in there. I uh, I was 24 years old, and that was my first taste of real deadline writing, and it's it changed everything in Giants history because yeah. it led to yes. George Young getting hired and the whole Parcells and all that. And uh, I don't know that it did all that much for the Eagles, but oh yeah, help them get to the playoffs. Yeah, help them yeah, get to the playoffs right. was kind of the still the standing emblem, I think, of the Vermeil era. There, I mean, that's kind of the that's the symbol, right? That's the the sign yeah, that yeah, things I are turning. About that part of it, but you know, the Deshaun Jackson one was great. All right, don't um, give them all away. That, that, that's no, weird. only because are you doing a book on this? No, we're doing a show on it. We're doing a show and, and giving oh. away tickets um, for someone who comes up with the best moment. I just, I, you have to let me mention one other, okay? Sure. Sean Jackson returned the punt to wipe out that huge Giants lead at MetLife Stadium. I mean, that was monumental. Yep. But the best part of that was Coughlin running after the punt yes. on the field. Yes, Matt Dodge. Screaming at him. Yes. For, for Red-faced. That was great. Oh, it was great. It was hey, great. Hey, listen. It, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Best of luck with the book. I, as I said, and I've told you this, I read it. It's one of my favorite books that I read all year. And anybody, I was going to say anybody who's a football fan, but really yeah. anybody who's a fan of great storytelling should read this book. Well, Glenn, thank you so much for that. And I just want to tell you, you know, I, I love Philadelphia. You know, we come down there every now and then just for fun. Um, I think Eagles fans are so passionate, maybe a little um, vulgar at times, but, you know, we can handle that. I can handle that. But I, what I want to tell people is the book is about the 86 Giants, but it really could – and it's really about their life after football. It really could have been about any team or any player from that era and what they go through with the mental health issues and the physical yeah. issues yeah. and the financial issues as a result of playing football. So I know people down there hate the Giants, and I understand. But it, it's like it's really some stories in there that I, I think people who follow sports and care about these athletes w- would care about reading it and – I always love coming on with you guys. Yeah, and by the way, we love it too, little, Gary. Thanks. A couple little Philadelphia nuggets within the book that I didn't know. Yep. So. Yeah, there's some good stuff in there about those Eagles teams at the same time. Yeah, and so. how uh, in that supplemental draft that Bill Parcells yeah, the Reggie. begged George Reggie. Young to take Reggie White. Yeah. And he basically said, get lost. He took Gary Zimmerman, and Gary Zimmerman wouldn't sign with the Giants, and he traded him for two second-round picks. Yeah, we like and that. And Parcells had said the Giants' defense would have been illegal with Reggie on one side and LT on the other. Can oh you imagine God. that? Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Hey, Gary, thanks a ton. We will talk to you again. Happy holidays. Happy New Year to everybody in Philly and you guys. You as well. Thanks, Gary. All right. There you Take- go. Good stuff. Really good stuff. All right. Let's sneak in a call. These people sure. have been patient. Bill in Doylestown wants to talk about the passing game. Hey, Bill. Hey, how are you? All right. Hi, Bill. Bye, bye. 
Uh, anyway, I've met you guys at the Publers. I want to thank you very much for putting that on for the Flyers charity. Oh, so it was yeah, a great thank event. Thank you for being there. Um, hey, I, to, to me, it seems like Jalen puts a lot of air under the ball for these deep passes, which gives a real opportunity to, to pick up some extra coverage on the defensive side of things. Um, does, does any of his mechanics change, or is it just my... I, I, I don't think the mechanics think change, Bill. I, I think I do think there's an element coming back to the knee injury. You know, this is something that I had harped on earlier in the year, and he was playing through it, and no one wanted to talk about it because Jalen didn't want to talk about it. He wouldn't answer questions about it. But I think it's it's has bothered him more than he has let on. And in that game Monday night against Seattle, as Glenn mentioned earlier in the show, he carried the ball. 13 times in that game so that by the time they get the ball back late and he's got to stand in there and and be a gunslinger you know he's been beat up a little bit you know i was just thinking of the of the arc that he throws his on where some of the yeah. guys can throw a flatter uh, harder ball he seems to get a lot of air in it he, they just I mean, the two plays hey, in he, particular, he's completely interceptions Bill, i gotta run thanks for the call and thanks for coming to that event last month yes I, definitely i, I He's completed a lot of those. To me, it's just kind of time and place. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, asterisks don't ever throw to Quez Watkins. Yeah, well, that, yeah. Uh, Mark in San Francisco. Hey, Mark. Hi. How you doing, guys? All right. Doing um, great, Mark. Um, do you want the New York Philly thing first? Or the no, I want, the, I want that to wrap. Okay. Um, well, the thing was, back in the 80s, I don't know if you all remember, there was a QB competition with the top quarterback. Yes, yes. They would okay, have to throw and hit that? the moving targets and stuff. The, exactly. The read and recognition. And you knew who was going to win that part of the competition before it started. You knew who it was. It was Dan Marino. Yep. He could read. He could recognize. He got rid of the ball timely, and he hit his target. I think that's what's happening with Jalen. He's kind of like going through a phase right now where he has to, okay, I know AJ's your guy and all this, but you got to take the play that is in front of you. Um, the situation of the night, the quest, Watkins, he's your fifth receiver, and, 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 you, and you throw that ball, and it, just go down the field, eat up that clock. If you need a field goal, take the field goal. And he throws the Quez Watkins. I couldn't yeah. understand that. That to me was worse than even the AJ Brown. At least you're going to AJ Brown. I hear you in yeah. that situation. Okay, All right, give us your. Now, it's good and agree with everything you just said. What's your Philly, New York underrated okay. moment? Okay, I'm gonna go to the faux 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 and ended up the faux five four. The first faux was against New York in the first round, and you had Moses Malone basically going coast to coast, spin dribbling, and pump faking. And making the shot like he was Earl Monroe. If you, if, if, I don't know. If I you love guys it. Remember the. I, I remember the round. I, it was June of uh, 1983. I remember yeah. May of 1983. Right. It finished. Right. They but, won the. They won the title in June. You're yeah, out in San Francisco. They, is that correct? Yes, I am. Well, I like it, the 49ers, but I'm an Eagle fan. No, no, life, no. So. I'm just saying it's a great place to live and enjoy it, but I don't think giving him theater tickets here is probably going to. No, unless he's you know flying into town anyway. Right. Uh, I'm not sure Mark is going to be able week. to make it to the show. So I'm going to just say this real quick one more time. So we have today a prize. The, the, the trick is give us the best underrated Philadelphia versus New York sports moment 
Mike put underrated with three lines underneath it. I meaning, did. Three lines, not four. Yeah, three. It's got to be one. And thanks to Gary Myers for mentioning the Deshaun punt return, which we love, but that's kind of a little bit too well known. So give us one that is not. And the best one wins a pair of tickets to see, well, me, but really more talented people than I because the other people are really good in the hysterical Mel Brooks play, Young Frankenstein, playing now through the end of the month at the Players Club of Swarthmore, PCS Theater. Go to pcstheater.org. Come today, 2 and 8 o'clock shows. All right, Mike, here's the deal. Coming up, mm. the best things that you and I watched this year, you've got your top five. Yep. I got my top ten television shows I watched all year. People are going to want to hear that. And give us a call, 215-592-9494. Don't forget, coming up at noon, Brian Baldinger breaks it down. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. All right. What we're watching is sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Take advantage of Guided's big year-end sale. Receive 40% off all windows and doors until December 31st. Call 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at goguida.com. All right. This is, by the way, we have not really wished people Merry Christmas. We haven't. Today. No, we're so terrible Merry, people. Merry Christmas to all. Happy New Year coming up. And at the end of the year, since we've been doing what we're watching, Ray and I, and now Mike and I, like to give our favorites at the end of the year. Uh, so you get to go first. Okay. You have a top five things that you watched, and it's, it, it covers covers the gamut. It does. Four of them are from streaming services. One was a movie that I saw in the theater. I'm going to kind of count down from uh, least memorable to most memorable. If, if we can do it that way. So number five for me was season three of Ted Lasso. You and I discussed this when yeah. this season came out. I liked it more than you did. Yeah, you did. Um, and I find myself looking back and rewatching some of the episodes. It was a little too much the whole season. They tried to cram too much in there. But yep. I'm finding that the benefit of that is that I'm rewatching. There was still a lot of stuff I liked, and I'm rewatching the stuff that I liked. Um, so that was number five on my list, and I thought it wrapped up very, very well. Number four was still the documentary on Apple TV about Michael J. Fox and his battle with Parkinson's. It is really well made. It is really well edited where they have taken clips from Michael J. Fox's career as an actor, whether on Family Ties or Spin City or Back to the Future and the other movies that he's been and it's almost like he's being interviewed through the characters that he has played uh, in movies and television. It's really well done and very poignant. And Michael mm. J. Fox was such a big part of so many uh, Gen Xers' lives when we were kids that it was kind of um, at once fun and bittersweet to watch it. I uh, really highly recommend it. Number three was uh, one that I don't know if it's going to be on your list. It might be on your list on Apple TV Plus, the series Shrinking with Jason Siegel and a hilarious Harrison Ford uh, and a terrific ensemble cast. Siegel plays uh, a psychiatrist or psychologist who's going through kind of a, a crisis of his own, and it's really funny and really sweet and really, really highly recommend it. Very much enjoyed that. Number two on my list was uh, the stand-up special that came out this year by Chris Rock. Chris Rock, Selective Outrage. I love... The way that Chris Rock comes at everybody. Nobody is spared from his biting humor, his commentary on the country as it is now. Uh, I, I just love that special. I could watch it from now 
you know, every night. I just, mm-hmm. I, I find something new to laugh at every time I see it. And then to me, the best piece of pop entertainment that I consumed all year, the most memorable one, was the movie Oppenheimer. Uh, I went and saw it in the theater with a friend of mine, uh, and just it blew me away in terms of the quality of the filmmaking from Christopher Nolan, being able to take something that's really serious uh, and make it accessible and dramatic. Uh, the effects are great. The performances are great. If Killian Murphy doesn't get nominated for Best Actor for playing Oppenheimer, and if Robert Downey Jr. doesn't get nominated for Best Supporting Actor uh, for playing Oppenheimer's nemesis, Robert Strauss, something is wrong. Go see Oppenheimer. And it's a shame that it's out of the theaters because you really need to see it, I think, on the big screen. Big screen. So, All right. That, those are my five. Good stuff. None of those are on mine. But okay. I've, but they're but they're good. And shrink, uh, So I did a my top ten, and I also did a lot of like runners-up and shrinking was definitely like close to my list. But <clears throat> here you go. I'm going to do mine 1 through 10. Uh, the best thing I saw all year was The Bear Season 2, which is on FX and Hulu. Season 1 was great, better in Season 2. It leveled up the, the tension in the family, also up the cooking. Jeremy Allen White, as the working-class chef, may be the best character on TV right now. It is the best show on TV. Watch The Bear. Number 2 was the final season of Succession on HBO, huge final season. They killed off Logan Roy, Brian Cox. They had his heirs fight over his legacy. They were all miserable. They they toyed with American democracy. It was great, all-time great TV. A big show like that had to go out with a big finish, and they pulled it off. Uh, number three, this is my sleeper show that nobody's ever heard of, Deadlock, mm-hmm. D-E-A-D-L-O-C-H on Amazon. It's an odd couple female homicide detective show set in Tasmania. Starts off as kind of a parody, but became a really good crime show along the way. I love Deadlock. Number four is Hijack on Apple. Idris Elba at his best. He plays a passenger on a plane that gets hijacked. It plays out over real time. You remember 24. It's like that. Uh, Each show is an hour. The suspense builds, and then it kind of gets released, and then it builds again, and then there's this big uh every episode ended with a cliffhanger and it was a really fun tense good show hijack next up is jury duty on on freebie this is a show i did not expect to like mike Mm. it's a reality comedy series that could have gone nasty like so many reality shows do but it it just had a great heart it's about a guy he's an average guy unsuspecting citizen gets called to serve on a jury Turns out everybody else is an actor. It's a fake. They're fake peers, and they're all in on the joke except for him. And there's a trial and deliberations, lots of laughs, and in the end, just a lot of decency. I loved that show. Okay. Next up is The Last of Us on HBO. Huge, uh, probably HBO's big hit of the year. A post-apocalyptic drama based on a video game, Mm -hmm. which had me very skeptical, but they pulled it off. It was produced by the people who created Chernobyl for HBO, if you watch that, uh, which also post-apocalyptic. Uh, an actor named Pedro Pascal, who was in The Mandalorian, yes. and young Bella Ramsey, who you might recognize from Game of Thrones. They've got to cross the country together to save mankind from the plague that has turned most of the human race into zombie-like mushroom creatures. Sounds odd. It's worth it. Watch okay. it. Um, number, I forget what number I'm on. Six. I am on number, oh, really, i got to move faster. All right, The Diplomat, Netflix. Start with Carrie Russell, who I'm in love with, who was great <laughs> in The Americans. <laughs> She's great in this. 
It's another suspense drama, which she does well. She plays the new U.S. ambassador to Britain who arrives there just as a British carrier is blown up in the Persian Gulf. Is it the Russians? Is it Iran? Is it independent terrorists? You, you, got, you watch. It's a talky kind of shit. It's very dense with dialogue, and it's about foreign policy disagreements, but it will never bore you. Uh, number eight is the after party on Apple. This is a different one. I remember you reviewing this. Yeah. You would like, and I know you would like this. It's about a group of thirty-somethings who meet up for their fifteenth high school reunion, and one ends up dead in the first fifteen minutes. the uh, The lead cop is Tiffany Haddish, who's great. Shows up. Everybody there is a suspect. Every episode focuses on a different person as you try to figure out who it is. But the twist is that every episode's a different genre. So one's like sci-fi, and one's a musical comedy, and a rom-com and a horror movie, and it it works. It's very funny. Two seasons of that. Number nine is what I'm watching right now, Fargo Mm. on FX. New season, all new cast, new plot line, funny, dramatic, violent, frightening, occasionally slapstick. Uh, You love Ted Lasso, so I assume you love Juno Temple, who played Keely. Yes, yep. She is great as as a Minnesota nice housewife who's actually leading a double life and John Hamm plays the evil cop really well. Number 10, Happy Valley. Last season, Amazon Prime season three, great British cop show. You know I love my British cop you shows. You do, man. Female protagonist. I like female protagonists. This was an interesting show. It premiered in 2014. They did two seasons, and then they waited six years between season two and three, but they pull it off. So those are my top ten shows. Real quickly, I'll just give them to you again. The Bear, Succession, Deadlock, Hijacked. Jury Duty, The Last of Us, The Diplomat, The After Party, Fargo, and Happy Valley. And your five things to watch are? Are Season 3 of Ted Lasso, Still, the Michael J. Fox documentary, Shrinking on Apple TV, Chris Rock's Selective Outrage, and Oppenheimer. I really loved Shrinking, so that that's that's one that very close to making my list. So there you go. I'll post these later on uh, social media yep. for people who want to see. All right, we got your calls coming up. We got Dan Wilson. We got nobody in the running now for the tickets. Is that correct? Uh, not any great answer. Okay. All, All right. right. So we, we, we want to give away the th- tickets. They're, they're out there. They're, the tickets are there to be won. They, yeah, yes, they are. Young Frankenstein now through December 30th at the PCS it's, Theater. Glenn, Sports. it's like the NFC South. They're just there to be won. Who wants to take it? That's Someone's going to win the tickets at 6 and 7 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, hopefully better than that. For tickets, go to pcstheater.org. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now on 94 WIP. Well, Landon Dickerson's face mask wasn't the only thing that got damaged in the game. In fact, his thumb did as well. Our uh, friend from Cooper Bone and Joint, Dr. David Gelt, joins us now. How are you, Doc? Very good. Happy holidays for everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Same Doctor. Same to you. Uh, by the way, happy Festivus. We forgot about that one, Mike. It's today. <laughs> I uh, uh, plan on getting to the feats of strength once we finish the show. You're going to go wrestle your dad? Yeah. So, so here you go, Doc. I'm going to get my metal pole out. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> Doctor. All right, Doc. Um, Landon Dickerson has a thumb injury. It, the, it, the team has not officially said anything. There was a report earlier in the week, and it's, I, it's not confirmed, but it's a very common thumb injury. is the UCL injury called Skier's Thumb. Uh, if we can speculate wildly about Dickerson and think maybe that's it. I know he underwent surgery the other day or was scheduled to undergo surgery. What is that and what does that mean? Yeah, so a skier's thumb, what they call it, or a UCL injury, they get 
in the web space of the thumb and the other and part of the hand, you get stretched out, so you're basically hyper-abduct, and you pull the thumb out. So if you're, if you're a skier and you fall on your ski poles, you basically the, the, the strap is in between that. Your thumb gets pulled back, and you, you can tear that little ligament in between the, the web space. If it's torn completely, then sometimes you have instability of the thumb and you have difficulty with gripping, and therefore sometimes you have to fix it and put it back together. Um, with this case, you know, if you do that, you do very well within four to six weeks of heels, but he can be done into like a cast or a splint and stabilize that so he can come back a little sooner even from that so he doesn't have to wait until he completely heals before he plays. Could he play with a, a brace or a cast or a splint or anything like that, Doctor? Yeah, I mean, being that he's a lineman, you know, obviously he won't be able to grip and hold things, but he can't hold it anyways. But, uh, yeah, they probably put him <laughs> in a, a big uh, either splint or cast so he immobilizes it or even like a club. Um, and then you can hopefully play with that. All right. Well, last question on this, Doc. Do you have, uh, in your medical opinion, is Sua Opeta somebody we should have confidence in in this place? Uh, I mean, against the Giants, hopefully, uh, it won't matter too much. So I'm hoping that it'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's why I like Dr. Gell. He's very honest about this. And upbeat. Oh, yes. We need, we need a win. We need a win, that's for sure. Yeah. All right. Listen, I know you listen, and we appreciate that. Do very you have much. a favorite moment in a new york philadelphia rivalry uh, i do actually um actually started the uh the streak for the phillies uh when they first got back in there it was 2007 2007 with chase Utley. i think in the ninth inning against the mets he hit a single um and that was the collapse of the mets and we ended up winning the nl east uh, for the first time it's pretty good that's a good one doc we can always count on you for brilliance enjoy okay. listen have a great holiday have a great new year my friend you too, guys. Have a good one. All right. All right thank we'll you, Doctor. You next year. There you go. Always prepared. He is, man. He uh put him in the running there, Dan Wilson. Yeah. Well, you know, he he would he's a cultured fellow. He would go see your play. Absolutely. There you go. All right, let's get some calls in here before we go to Baldy. Steven Cinnaminson. Uh Hey, how you guys doing? All right, Steve. Hi, Steve. All right. I was I was calling about one about the birds. Um I mean, I'm concerned on both sides of the ball, more specifically the defense. I do think eventually the offense is going to put it together. Um, I don't know what the big issue is. Maybe it's the injury we don't know about with her, but I'm definitely more concerned about the defense. Yeah, what do we think about Bradbury? I'll ask you a question to Mike because I wanted to get to this, and actually something I want to ask Baldy. I thought Keely Ringo played well for the 18 plays he was in, no receptions against him. Are we ready to move from Bradbury to Keely Ringo? Is that to me, Glenn? Or to well, it's Steve. to Steve and then to you. Okay. I'll, I'll say no just because I need – kind of like I was saying for the D.C., like he was doing good at the beginning, but I need to see more of it, and we didn't continue to see more of it. So same kind of answer there. Okay. If he keeps doing that, sure. But no, you're not ready I, yet. Fair enough. Mike? Yeah. Not, not with Darius Slay not in the lineup. I'm not benching James Bradbury. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not purposefully shorthanding myself at cornerback with my top guy not in the lineup. I don't know what Bradbury's got left. What's your New York Philly moment there, Steve? So my New York Philly moment, May 1st, I forget the year. I want to say 09, but when us and the Mets, we agreed with each other for like 10 minutes when we got Bin Laden. Oh. That's a great one. That is a good one. That's that a was great a nice, one. You know what, Steve? That's pretty good. I like it. That's 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 out of the All way. around Citizens Bank Park there, Channing, USA, USA. That's because, according to reports... Osama bin Laden has been killed. And President Obama is about to address the 
United States audience and give an update on what the situation is. Boy, news yeah. travels fast, even Ooh. in the ballpark. That was a good job by Tommy Mack because that, that stuff was like all happening yes. in real time. And it was also not everybody. This 09 was the year, right? Not everybody. 2011. Oh, 20, oh it's 2011? Yes. Okay, excuse yeah. me. Uh, not everybody then like had their cell phone in their hand looking at social media. So it kind of traveled a little more slowly. A little That's, bit, but it was. It, I remember watching that game from home and – you were getting it in real time, as you said, and it, it moved pretty fast. It seemed around that park. There is, by the way, and I don't want to—I don't want to give it away—a similar moment: Flyers Rangers and foreign yep. policy. Yes, that occurred. Yeah. Uh, let's get Dan in Bucks County here. Hey, Dan. Yo, Dan. Hello. Hey. Hi, Dan. Hi. So, uh, wanted to first talk about the Eagles mm-hmm. and how. Um, you know, obviously a lot of us have uh, sort of fallen off the bandwagon, uh, rightfully so. I think they were struggling all season, and the last three games have just been, you know, kind of the ultimate outcome that we, some of us, expected. Anyway, I hear a lot of people on WIP talking about how, you know, this win against the Giants or this game against the Giants has to be an overwhelming win in order for anyone to think that we're back on track. Um, I, I disagree, right? First of all, I don't care if they win by point. I'm happy. I'm not necessarily saying I'm back on the bandwagon, but I'm happy. I'm and if they win overwhelmingly, so what? They're supposed to. Like, well, I'm, I'm going to push back on you to this extent. They've looked really bad in the last three weeks. So if you're playing – if the goal this year is to not just get to the playoffs but go far in the playoffs and maybe even recover enough to go to the Super Bowl, I want to see something these last three weeks that persuades me that they're going to be able to do some damage in the playoffs. Well, I agree. I'm just saying that one overwhelming point against the Giants doesn't persuade me. I guess well, it moves it. you in that direction a little bit, doesn't it? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. What's your New York Philly moment? Uh, uh, game one, 2009 World Series against CC Sabathia. Oh, that's a, that's a good. There's a number of moments in that game. Is there one one moment in particular, Dan, that you're thinking of? Uh, no, I'm just thinking of, of the fact that you know, I, I, we, I, me personally, I go into that game thinking, okay, well, we're going to be down, you know down one game okay let's get it over with and we end up you know facing you know, one of the best starting pitchers in the league at that time and we beat him six to one i think utley had a couple of home runs right he so, did and that was that, yeah that, and, the, and that's that was the story with the utley home run it was but there was that one moment where a yankees batter remember who started that game for the phillies was cliff lee and a yankees batter hit a oh, sickly gosh, yes. little pop i was there god oh my i was in the stadium yeah go ahead go and ahead, yeah. cliff lee catches it yeah one-handed near the mound. Yeah, dismissively. Dismissively. Like, this is all you got? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was great. That was got... that was pretty good. He also Cliffley. went behind the back on a ground yeah. ball. That's right. And uh, do you guys remember how Cliff Lee got to the ballpark that night? No. He took the subway. Good he, for him. Yeah, he like missed the – his taxi was taking too long. He didn't take the bus there. He wanted to go separate. So he literally had to take the subway to get there on time. All right, Dan, you Been there, man. Been there. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I win the tickets for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For knowing Cliff Lee took the subway. You took the story and you made it better. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Hank and Bluebell. We'll get you in the next segment, I promise. But first, we're going to check in with the great Brian Baldinger. See what Baldy has to say about the Eagles. Spoiler: I've heard it. He's it ain't great. Con- no, he's got some concern as well. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now ninety four WIP. Why is Brian Baldinger yelling at me? 
That is Brian Baldinger spinning wisdom, and we are joined by Odyssey NFL insider Brian Baldinger, host of the Odyssey original podcast, The Best Football Show, where you will get those daily breakdowns of the most important storylines around the league. Brian, how are you today? Hey, good morning, Glenn. Mike, I'm doing really well. Good to be with Great. you. Happy holidays to both of you. Thank Thanks, you. Baldy. You too. Same to you. And by the way, follow Baldy on Twitter at Baldy NFL. And and I had so many things I want to talk about, but let's start with that, which which I love because you are a lineman in this league. You're a lineman on this team. Um, how maybe the solution to the Eagles is really simple. You got those big guys in front. Let them do what they want to do. I, that's that's kind of what I think, uh, Glenn. I mean, that's a start to just winning the line of scrimmage kind of uh, trying to break the other team's sword the way the Rams did the other night to the Saints, the way the good teams are doing it right now, San Francisco. I mean, the good teams are just leaning on the run game heavy and letting those guys go to work and, and then just make the running game pay off in the passing game. And I think um, I think a lot of their troubles would go away. But, look, to me, Glenn, honestly, this is a fun time of the year. Like, th- th- there's no better feeling than, okay, we're definitely in the middle of a, a mad struggle. Let's go fix it and figure it out. That's what teams do. That's what the 49ers did this year when they lost three in a row and had a bye week and didn't win a game for a month. I mean, they fixed it. And so I think everything is inside that building to what they have to do. Baldy, can they be the running team they were last year or particularly in 2021 with this version of Jalen Hurts? And by that, I mean it looks like his knee might be bothering him. He, He looks slower than he did. Uh, last season or the season before that, Glenn mentioned some some analytics that suggest he really hasn't been very productive running the ball. Do they need him to run more and run better to do the kinds of things it sounds like you want them to do? Well, I mean, look, the, the Ravens lead the league in rushing, and Lamar Jackson isn't running for 1,200 yards this year like he did in his MVP year. I mean, you've got to alter it a little bit. I mean, it doesn't have to be about – I don't believe it has to be about Jalen. I think they've got a stable of backs. Um that I think can get hot and know how to run the ball, starting with DeAndre Swift. So I don't think it has to be all around Jalen and read options and quarterback keepers and quarterback draws. I mean, I, I think you just go up there and start knocking some people off the ball. And I think once you kind of get that established, um, you know, I think that they can kind of do what they want. There's not many – I know Landon's not playing this week, but they still have guys that can move the line of scrimmage uh, just about as well as anybody in this business, let him go to work. Yeah, as you wrote earlier in the week, let these monsters be monsters. One of the things that I'm a little bit concerned about, Brian, is is I think that Nick Sirianni's offense, at least recently, has gone a little bit stale. Um, and you you did one of your breakdowns this week that showed, hey, Jack Stoll's in the game. Guess what's going to happen? And it happened. I don't want to give away the whole thing, but – it makes me have some concern that I, I thought Nick has been a creative play caller over the years, but maybe it's gotten a little bit stale and a little bit predictable. Uh, if you would expound on that and, and even talk about that, that breakdown you did with Jack Stoll. Well, I, I think it's true. I mean, I think the players think it's stale and predictable because, you know, the players hear what the defense is calling out and what they're saying, it, you know, they're like, Oh, they know the you know, quarterback draw is coming or whatever, you know, whatever the play might be. I, I do think it's predictable, and I think there's – look, I, I broke down – I'm not getting off your, the, the question, but it's just yep. a good question. But, I mean, I broke down the 49ers run game in Christian McCaffrey, 
And they have a lot of window dressing. They do a lot of shifting, a lot of motion, a lot of formations. They run five plays. I mean, I could draw up the running attack in literally five minutes. That's what they run. And, you know, I just think the Eagles got to get back to power-type runs, maybe throw some window dressing in there, some formation, some movement, um, different speeds of movement, not just the same. Uh, but I, I do think that there is – and I know Nick isn't a big, you know, pre-snap motion guy, which, which is okay. There's different ways to win in this business. But I do think, you know, formations um, – Look, they're, they're used to seeing Jack Stone and, you know, uh, off tight end position and coming across and whamming or whatever he does um, in, in most of these runs. I mean, I think you got to change it up. you got to give them something else to look at. This is 15 weeks of this now. It's not that hard to figure out. Yeah, so, just but- you know, Christian McCaffrey can sit there on a manicast and say, this is what's coming, and he never looks at the Eagles' offense. You know, I think there's guys at the end of the bar in South Philly that could say the same thing. So, there is, there is a, I think, a need to change some things up, and I'd be surprised if you don't see some different things over the next three weeks. We're talking to Brian Baldinger, former NFL player, former Eagle, terrific analyst for the NFL Network and here at Odyssey. And Baldy, one of the discussions that's kind of gone back and forth, certainly Glenn and I have been kicking around on the show, and as you know, it's taken place all week, is the question of where uh, Jalen Hurts is going with the football, the decisions that he's making. And it seems to me to be kind of split into these two camps where uh, a quarterback, the, the one sense of philosophy is the quarterback is supposed to go throw the ball to the place that is the primary place on the play. You know, this was uh, A.J. Brown's explanation for what happened on an interception at the end of the Seahawks game. He is the first read. He, it is a shot play. It is designed to get A.J. The other side of that is, yes, but a quarterback has to be able to adjust to that, and if A.J. Brown isn't open, he can't just say, oh, single high safety, I'm supposed to throw the ball deep to A.J. Brown. He's got to adjust, check the ball down, maybe throw to the middle of the field. From what you see, how is Jalen handling all those responsibilities, and does some of this or any of this fall on Brian Johnson and Nick Sirianni to kind of ease the process for him? I think they should give Jalen more. I think they should give him more to do and more to look at than what they do. I mean, you know, it's not the, you know, they're pretty basic passing route concepts that they run. I think they need to give them more and trust them to be able to make those decisions. Now, in hindsight, yes, he should have checked the ball down probably to gain well on the play and just taken what Seattle gave him. Um, but he has thrown it up to A.J. in questionable situations, situations before, and A.J. has come down with the ball. I mean, he did it three times in the Steelers last week, last year. And AJ caught all three. I mean, he's come down with the ball, but I think they, I think they should give him more to do, and more to look at, and more at the line of scrimmage, and let him uh, put it in his hands more. I mean, that's that's what I think, and mm-hmm. and I do think that they, you know, I think Seattle. I mean, I was just surprised, honestly, guys. Like, I didn't even know Artie Burns was still in the league last week. I mean, he's been <laughs> all over the league. Yeah. They're minus their top three corners. One's benched and Artie Burns out there playing. Like, I mean, I'm not going to get like sophomoric here, Glenn, but like sometimes you see a pigeon out there, you should just go ruin it, yeah, you know, absolutely. and make them pay. And yeah. I, I, I have a problem when you see a weakness out there and half a dozen teams saw a weakness in Artie Burns. That's why he's been traveling as much as he has. Like go after him and wear him out. Let me flip to the other side of the ball. Matt Patricia, this was his first game calling the defense, um, and I think it's going to evolve. Did, did you see 
Any changes in the Eagles defense from previous weeks? And do you see the opportunity there to make changes that might help? Well, they didn't blitz. And on the final drive, they went 92 yards in 10 plays. And the substitution was weird. You know, on the final play, I mean, there's a Jomo and Milton Williams rushing a defensive tackle. Why isn't Jalen Carter and Fletcher Mm -hmm. Cox out there? Because they were gassed from running eight straight plays in a row. And so they weren't out there the final two plays. So, I mean, substitution-wise, the idea and the strength of the team is supposed to be the defensive line, and they're supposed to be on some regular rotation so that when it is crunch time, you got your very best pass rushers on the field. That's number one. Number two, I mean, it kind of just lined up in place. And I was a little surprised that we didn't see a more varied pass rush attack, whether it's zone pressures or <clears> – <throat> More blitzes. Uh, you know, Drew Locke is we starting his second game in, I don't know, three years. Like, I, I would have liked to – when Ford wasn't getting home and really affecting him, I would have found different ways to affect him and see if he could throw the ball up for grabs a couple of times because that's really been his history. Do you buy the rookie wall, Baldy, with respect to Carter and he maybe even to a lesser degree Jordan Davis because he didn't play very much last season? Well, Jordan Davis – like he's, they're kind of showing you who he is. I mean, he wasn't on the field one play in the final drive. They don't trust him as a pass rusher. So, I mean, it, it doesn't look like a very good pick if the 13th pick in the draft isn't on the field in the last 10 plays of the game where you need to stop. So, I don't, I don't believe in rookie walls because, because of the way the Eagles practice. They don't do much. All they try to do is keep <laughs> their guys fresh. So, I, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying any of it. I see too many other rookies in this league that are just kicking butt right now at a variety of positions, and none of them are hitting the wall. And all Nick does from the beginning of training camp is try and, you know, keep his guys fresh and rested so that when you get to January, they don't look like they hit the wall. All right, well, let's wrap with this, Brian Baldinger. Uh, As you look ahead, uh, as much as you want to forecast, obviously the Niners look like the class of the conference, maybe the class of the league right now. How do you rank them in the NFC, and what chance do you see the Eagles kind of getting it together over the last three weeks and maybe doing some damage in the playoffs? Well, I think they got a chance to get it together, Glenn. I'm not writing this team off. I mean, I would take the Rams over the Eagles anywhere in the country, in L.A., in Philly, on a, you know, uh, on Patchyunk Avenue in South Philly. I mean, I would take the Rams over because of the way they – I don't care about the records. I just care about the way they're playing. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. playing well. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's – so they, they need to get that back where they can step on the field and know they're driving the field and going to score. We haven't seen that from this team in a while. And it's not a question of the gauntlet or who they play. It doesn't matter who you play. It's all about your execution. And, you know, Matt Stafford hit one good throw after another last week against great coverage, and they won the game easily. So, to me, Philly can get back there. And, look, they got cupcakes coming. But I wouldn't take the Arizona Cardinals lightly. I've seen that team just run for 234 yards against the 49ers. You know, last week I've seen the Giants uh, play well, so I'm going to take any of them lightly. But it's a great opportunity to put a three-game win streak together and maybe win the division, maybe be the number one seed, depending on what happens on Christmas night with Baltimore and San Francisco. There's a lot to play for. It's a third of the season left. Like, let's fix some of these things, and then let's you know let's get get a, a bunch of momentum going into the new year. 
Brian, as always, great stuff. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, we wish you a Merry Christmas, Happy yeah. New Year to you, your family, and uh, always always enjoy this opportunity. Thank you, Glenn. Thanks, Mike. You got right. it, Baldy. Be Thanks. Well. There, right, there you go. Brian Baldinger, and I will say that was Odyssey NFL insider Brian Baldinger. Make sure to follow the best football show with Brian Baldinger on the Odyssey app or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. That was uh, revealing, Glenn. He's yeah. not as uh, <laughs> I didn't optimistic the Rams about the— to come up as a favorite. <laughs> you know what, though? He's right about the way Matthew Stafford is playing right now. Yeah, Stafford well. looks terrific. And yep. I wouldn't want to face them. If I, if they're the seven seed and the Eagles are the number two seed, uh, that's a bad matchup for the Eagles, I think. No, you beat them once earlier in the year. No. All right. You want to get some calls in Yeah, here? let's get a call. Let's get Hank and Bluebell wants to talk about Jalen Hurts. Hey, Hank. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, am I coming through clear? You're good. So Great, great. So um, I got a bunch of things. Now, the writer you just had on, he, he was absolutely correct. It's the perfect stretch of three games for the Eagles to get on track. Um, but my, my thoughts with um, Jalen Hurts real quick is um, they don't have any type of rhythm to the offense. They need to blend in some running games, some quick throws where, yep. um, yeah. you know, just, just to get him hot, get him started, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, you know, uh, it's not to interrupt you, Hank, but this was something yeah. Glenn and I spoke about last week was that uh, they haven't used tempo this season in the I way mean, they did – last season with Shane Steichen calling the plays. True. Right, right, right. And so um, then the also, I think he's bailing out quickly because when it, when the rush comes up the middle, uh, you remember how he got hit in the knee um, a couple games back? I yeah. think that knee is a problem. And yeah. I think he's trying to, you know, keep away from uh, hits directly on his legs coming up the middle. So um, Yeah, there, there, there seems to be a lot – going on there Hank there really does and and he's not talking about it very much what is your uh New York Philly moment okay I got it right so um the year we went to the Super Bowl we're playing the Giants at the link and Jake Elliott nails like a 61 yarder to win the game and it just like momentum just took off from there that's that's a great one that's a great one and it did it saved the season and it turned it around and yeah, I think yeah. Ray yeah. told me. Hank, thank you. By the way, thank you. Good stuff, Hank. Uh, you're definitely in running. I think Ray told me that he was he was doing the the post game with Seth Joyner at uh, Comcast Sportsnet, and when when Elliot hit that, Seth Joyner said, "That's the mark of a special team. They're they're just they're gonna do it." And it's like it was an omen, uh, and it was. It was a 61 yarder at the gun to win a to beat. Could have done that Island. last week. Yeah, except uh, should have given him the chance instead of throwing that stupid pass. <laughs> throwing deep to AJ so Brown. My only question is: so we said before the show that we wanted a level of like obscurity to these answers, yes. right? Like, is that obscure enough? I think it is. Okay, I, I think it meets the threshold. Yeah, uh, I do because I think of it as iconic. I think, uh, but it's it's not obvious to me. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I, I mean, with the Giants, like you have the three miracles at the Meadowlands, right? So you throw those in there first. So this, it's it, at least it's not there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with Glenn on this one. Uh, Jake in Stratford wants to talk about the secondary. What's up, Jake? Yeah, hey, guys. Great show. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I would definitely have Bradbury back just based on the experience. I always like to see, like, experience over new, except for sometimes I wonder if he just gets confused inside his own head where he's trying to do what the scheme says or he's trying to do what he thinks is right. I'm hoping he's the veteran, Matt Patricia man. can really he's the one, and he, I, I disagree with you on, on a lot of things, so – 
Here's what I disagree with you on. One is, I don't think he, if he's a guy getting confused, there's really no excuse for that. He's a veteran who's been around a long time. He's a smart guy. He knows the system. And, and to me, his failings aren't that, failings aren't that he doesn't know the system. I am not benching him entirely, but I want to see the young kid. I want to see Keely Ringo. I want to see Ricks. You're playing the Giants. You're playing Arizona. These are not teams that have great passing games. I want to give those guys a shot so I see what I got. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not with you there, Glenn. I don't think you're in a position to give guys a shot. you got to win games. And, and Bradbury's doing that for you? Fellas? Well, you're down Darius Slay. I'm not going to voluntarily take a guy off the field who has been a good player in the past. Um, now, if he gets burned early in the Giants game, we can revisit the issue. But I don't see going into that game saying, i got to get James Bradbury off the field. Jake, do you have a uh, Philly, New York moment? Uh, yeah, my favorite Philly, New York moment is when Danny Dimes is running wide open and just falls right on his face. Classic. <laughs> favorite. The best one. Oh, That's gosh. the one. That that might be up there. Uh, Dan Wilson, file that one away. That's that's not bad when uh, the air tripped uh, Daniel yeah. Jones on that run in 2020. That was pretty funny. It was. It was very good. Uh, Lou in Blackwood uh, also wants to talk about Jalen Hurts. Hey, Lou. Yeah, how's it going? You know, I, I wanted to talk about uh, Jalen's uh, injury. But uh, I, I got to ask a question, and I haven't heard it um, on anything, anywhere, any media outlet, as to how in the world did the did the Eagles not give Bradbury uh, help on that play? How did they let somebody get behind him in that situation? I don't, I don't understand it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, there's I've watched film breakdowns of that play um, in terms of. And revealing what the Seahawks did and what Sidney Brown. You're talking about the touchdown, I assume, Lou. The touchdown, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that can't happen. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be – I don't want to get into the weeds with it, but the alignment that the Seahawks ran kind of pulled Sidney Brown up a little bit. Um, it, it's it's a little complicated, and it's too much to get into on the air. Um, but anyway, what was your thought about Hurts and his injury? But, but was, that, was that a design that he didn't have any help? Yeah, I think yeah. I think to a certain degree it was that the way the Seahawks ran the play, like I said, it kind of pulled Brown closer to the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I mean, I just think that's unacceptable from an Eagles standpoint. But let me let me go on to my uh, game. Uh, end of the 2010 Flyers season, they uh, they had to beat the Rangers in a shootout. Ah, I just, I just yeah, I remember. Um, I think it was Bouch- Bouchard. Boucher, Boucher was the goalie. Yeah, made the save. Boucher, yeah, he made the save, and he. he Pops up and he starts, you know, dancing around the ice. It was, it was great. great. You Good. know, that was Good it, one, Lou. Thank you. It, it was great. That was, in many ways, that was like the last flyer season. I really remember having fun. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> I mean, they had to do that to make the playoffs. And the Rangers, if you remember, the Rangers just kind of coasted at the end of the game, thinking, well, we'll beat them in the shootout because they always lose a shootout. Flyers win the shootout, and that was the year they went on the run. Yep. Yeah, they beat the Devils in the first round. They come back from being Montreal. down 3-0 against the Bruins in the second round. Yeah. Canadians yeah. in the conference finals. And then, yeah, it was great. You know, took the Blackhawks six games. Yeah. Um, we actually are going to get into a little bit of Flyers stuff and some Sixers stuff in the next segment uh, because both teams are interesting, I think, Glenn, for different reasons. Uh, and we can continue to take your calls and your uh, your New York-Philly sports moments to try to win those tickets 
to see my partner in Young Frankenstein at uh, PCS Theater in Swarthmore. Uh, you can reach us, of course, at 215-592-9494. And you can keep listening in a few minutes when we come back. Glenn Macnow, Mike Sealski on 94 WIP. That was Owen Tippett winning a game for the Flyers in overtime on Tuesday night. Glenn Macnow, I am intrigued and I am curious your perspective on this. I feel like the Flyers and the Sixers, and I know that they're not getting the attention that they will once football season ends, and certainly the Flyers haven't gotten a lot of attention uh, in years previous just because they've been so lousy. But it feels like to me, and again, I want to get your take on this, that People are more excited about the Flyers' regular season than they are about the Sixers' regular season. Well, yeah. You know, that the Flyers' regular season really matters, whereas the Sixers are might actually, for a change, be a contender. Uh, and yet, people need to be proved. They need to prove that to people. And so, yeah, Joel Embiid, 35 points a game, that's great. 51 points in a game, that's great. Tobias Harris last night, wonderful. Talk to me in April and May. Yeah, Joel Embiid is having one of the great seasons that I think people are shrugging about. And I'm not saying that those people are wrong. Um, I read a thing, I think, in your paper today that he is on pace to join Wilt Chamberlain as the only NBA player since the 1954-55 season. By the way, when something's older than I am, it's yeah. old. To finish with more points than minutes, uh, which Wilt did in 61-62. And uh, and beat at 51 points against a very good Minnesota team on Wednesday night. Uh, Yes. So, I mean, I think you kind of nailed it. One is the Eagles take all the oxygen this season, and the Eagles' story has been so dramatic with the ups and the downs and the where are they now that that's going to dominate radio, television, newspapers, websites, everything. That's it. That's that's the that's the alpha and the omega. But with with Embiid and with the Sixers, as you said, we've been down this road before. And Joel Embiid was, what, four for 16 in game seven against the Celtics? Yeah. Is that what it was? Something, something like that. Yeah, something and, along those lines and, and was just as bad in game six. Right. So it it is – listen, they're fun to watch. They're tremendous fun to watch. Um, they had three guys score 30 points yesterday, and that, like, almost yeah. never happens. Maxi is just a joy to watch. He's fun. Oh, he's great. And he's, he's great. He, yeah, I mean he's, but he's he's like joyous. There's just a there's there's a, a, a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't buoyancy. know. There's an en- buoyancy, yeah, buoyancy, energy, whatever around him that really makes him compelling to watch. And maybe Nick Nurse is different than Doc Rivers, but again, uh, you know, call me in May and I, and I'll see. With the Flyers, they've been so bad in recent years and so not worth watching that now all of a sudden. They're doing things. It's really fun. And they also have an energy that you didn't see from the top of the front office with Jonesy and Danny Briere down to what you see on the ice. They, they've got two losses in a row right now. Um, they, they lost in a shootout. I think it was their first loss in a shootout yeah. last night. Yes. They're still 6-4, six, six and four, I think, in overtimes and shootouts. Yes, they are. And that so last did, night was a roller coaster. My God. Yeah, they're down 5-1, and all of a sudden, like, oh, my God, they tied it and they took the lead. So, again, it's it's new, it's young, it's refreshing, and once the uh, the 
Eagles season ends with the Super Bowl win out in Las Vegas. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll pay dramatic attention to these teams. Phillies haven't given us much in the offseason to get excited about. So No, yeah. they made they made a run at Yamamoto, and that's been it. And, yeah, and that um, was just kind of cursory, I thought. Yeah, it's like they yeah. had to get their name in, knowing their chances were remote, but, you know, make the fit. Yeah. Uh, Kenny from the Dirty 30 is on the line and wants to talk a little oh, flyers. Always a pleasure. Hey, Kenny. Guys, I've been enjoying these flyers and stop with the talk about the they're playing well now to the later stuff because I'm trying to get people to come with me and get excited again. Um, well, they're worth watching. But, uh, no, they're, they're definitely been, worth going to a game. It's definitely a different vibe and energy around the team, Kenny. I'm just, you know. Well, and, the, and the building. I was there uh, the, the other night um, when they lost to Nashville, but it's so much different now. It was packed and people were excited and every little – Oh, and shoot, and it's all back, which has been gone for years, and that I love. Yes. I mean, it just, it's been so much fun going there again, and, uh, you know, no thanks to our buddy Keith Jones, but uh, um, it's been – I'm really excited about that. But it made me think – Wait, why, why, no why, why are you not thanking why, Jonesy? Why are we taking a shot at Jonesy here? Uh, he's my buddy. I, uh, guys, you, you all knew him before he became president, and I don't know about and he, you. And, by the I'm, way, he's still that guy. Yeah, so yeah, far. I, I know he is, but we all know him as that guy, and now he's in charge, and it's so funny seeing him be serious, Keith Jones, because I'm not used to seeing that. You know what's going to happen, Kenny? They're going to win a Stanley Cup a few years from now, and he's going to go full Belichick. He's going to go, yeah, I don't know what we're doing with no, this team. never. <laughs> Give me one. Yeah, right. exactly. Is Kenny, you have a uh, Philly-New York uh, rivalry submission this here? One is, this one is obscure, but it was one of my favorites ever, and uh, this goes back, Len, maybe before you got here. The Mets used to have this uh, really nudge of a player named Wally Backman. I hated this guy. He I was remember such him. a little nudge. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, infielder would always just annoy the living. And so uh, for a couple of years, the Phillies had Lance Paris as a catcher. wasn't much of a catcher for us, but he was a mountain of a man. This one game, and I never forget this, Wally Backman rounds third, and he's heading home, and for some godforsaken reason, he thinks he's going to run over Lance Parrish. Ball comes in, Lance Parrish gets it and turns, and Wally Backman hits him. It was like he ran into a brick wall. He went flying <laughs> backwards about 10 feet, helmet in the air, and he was just laying on the ground. I think he got knocked out for a few seconds. And the crowd went nuts because they hated him so much. You never get to see a nudge in baseball get one. And they got one that game. I don't even know what happened in the game. But to see Wally Backman go flying, helmet after a team cup is great. Kenny, thank so you. That's my favorite moment. Thank you so much for the call. Glenn, i got to be honest. That's almost too obscure. To win yes. the tickets, I think. Don't think it's going to win, but it was a great anecdote. It was. It was a tremendous anecdote. Uh, our friend Rick from Easton is in is on the line and wants to weigh in on the Eagles. Hey, Rick. Couldn't uh, I couldn't help but call before the year, end of the year, my friend. Uh, you know, I just have to say I have to agree with Kenny. It's an exciting, exciting Flyers team. And talk about coming back and never saying die down five to one don't you usually put your head down and, and and mail it in well i would i would like to have been a fly on the wall in the visiting locker room in detroit last night for john tortorella's speech to the team between the first and second periods because i guarantee you there's no paint left on that wall i asked my friends what do you think that what do you think that speech was like after the first period it's funny you said that uh, real quick with the Eagles on both sides of the ball, if I could squeeze this in, I'll give you my moment with New York. Sure. I just think that once in a while, if we could put Jalen Hurts under center more than just once or twice a game, to give just a different look. And why can't we, with the body that A.J. Brown has and the, and, and the, and the 
getting the open that Smith has the ability to do. Why can't we do the one-yard pick, which is legal, off the line of scrimmage, instead of continually trying to do it 20 yards down the field and getting a flag on it? Why can't we try that? And how about doing this? I know Brady, you can't compare him to Hurts, but my goodness, Brady had no receivers how many times did he go to Edelman before they stopped him? Why can't we just continually feed the ball to A.J. 12, 15 yards down the field, especially with three minutes left in the game, instead of throwing those bombs until the defense stops that play? I think that certainly in the last drive would have made a whole lot of sense. Of course it would have. And before we go to Patricia, I'm, I'm a little concerned about one fact. Let's not forget Matt Patricia, he coached the defense, who was on the sidelines. 15 to 20 minutes while Brady held the ball for seven to eight minutes most of his career. His defenses were well-rested, and he also was coaching with Belichick. So I'm not so sure I'm thrilled about Matt Patricia yet, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, you got to be an open mind about it at this point. Obviously, Rick, they can't be any worse than they had been recently under Sean Desai. Uh, what's, so, your, what's your Philly New York moment? I this up, Glenn. I don't, oh, Glenn, you weren't around oh. then, but I'm sure you heard of it. In 1980, the Flyers are playing the Islanders in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And Bobby Nystrom goes offside. This is, this is your favorite? Well, you said something that's memorable. You want a favorite? I'll give you a favorite. Yeah. How yeah. about when Julius Peppers had his head down going after Randall Cunningham and Byers blindsides him. You mean Pepper Johnson. Pepper, Pepper Johnson, Johnson, but yes. Hit him. That was one of the most incredible hits. Now I'm sure it's illegal because he was defenseless, but what a play that they was. Were co- and by the way, they were college roommates. They were. They were good I, friends. I think he was best man at his wedding. He was. Yep. That's actually a pretty good That's one. That's a good one, Rick. Thank you very much, man. Good to hear from you. I was here. I was in the stadium. That was, that was, it was one of the greatest hits you ever saw. And just Pepper. And the story at the time, was that I believe their wives were watching the game together in the stands? They were. I actually spoke to Keith Byers about that hit. Oh, that's right. You did the whole retrospective thing. Yeah, and what's interesting about it, too, is that the Giants were unbeaten at the time that they played that game at the Vet against the Eagles. They were 10-0, I think, or 11-0, and the Eagles just blew them out that day. It was 31-13, and Byers throwing that block on Pepper Johnson. You were 100% right, Glenn. They were best friends. They were college roommates at Ohio State. And still, Byers, you know, knocked him in the middle of next week. Sure, he still brings it up to him once in a while. Yeah, I would think so. I right. mean, hey, remember know. that time? <laughs> remember that thing? Mike, I would bring it up meeting. to you. If, if we, in the WIP hallways, run into each other and I send you flying, I will tell you about that for years to come. Yeah, you know, I don't think it's happening, Glenn. Got to be honest. Got to be honest. I think I think I'm a little shiftier than that at this point. Uh, you know, you've had a few knee surgeries. I know. Uh, yeah, and... I know, but you know, you have your head down the way he had his <laughs> head down. It was like a Lindra Scott Stevens. Ah, uh, there you go. See, I, I, I'm thinking. Uh, you know, it's I'm, I'm going to put the blame on the quarterback. Right. That's the thing that Tom Brady has been saying lately. Complaining yeah. about football nowadays is the quarterbacks. Yeah, these young quarterbacks. When I was in the league, like a year ago. Yeah, a year ago, and he's all, he's complaining about how defensive players can't hit anybody anymore, and he is the reason that defensive players can't hit anybody That's anymore. Correct. Is because every time he got hit, the NFL decided to make it tougher on defensive players to hit guys. A very good punt. Yeah. Anyway, um, all right. Well, look, coming up, we're going to close out the show. Find out from Dan Wilson what we forgot to talk about. I think Dan has a particular theme in mind for this, Glenn. So this is going to be very interesting. Um, And again, if we have, we're going to name the winner of the contest. If you want to get a last minute submission in, 
about your favorite underrated Philly, New York sports moment. We'll take your call quickly at 215-592-9494. Just a couple minutes left with Glenn Macnow and Mike Sealski on 94 WIP. Ninety-four WIP, Mike Sealski and Glenn Mack. Now turning things over to Go Birds Radio. Is that correct, Dan? At uh, one o'clock here. Go, Go Birds Radio. Yes, with uh, I think it's Rob Ellis and let me double check. It's not the usual crew. Oh, okay. Well, that makes things a little more interesting. Uh, so, Glenn, I have a question for you before we get out of here, sir. What kind of prep are you doing, given that we are getting off the air at one o'clock? Yeah. And you have a show to do at two. What is yes. happening in that hour? What's happening is I am racing from this through my kitchen to pick up my uh, bag of stuff and getting in the car and obeying the speed limit as I drive to the Players Cup of Swarthmore, which is a 25-minute drive. Getting there, doing the sound check with the microphone, getting into costume, uh, doing the vocal warm-up with the group, which we do every night. I'll be late for the dance warm-up. That's okay. Nobody really goes to see me dance. <laughs> and uh, waiting till they say uh, three minutes to call, and then there we go. And so you have the show at 2 o'clock. Then you yeah. have another uh, rendition. So the show is eight. at 2 o'clock. show is uh, about 2 hours and 15 minutes, so we'll be off 4.15, 4.20, and then I got to be back there at 6.30. Really, you're supposed to be there an hour and a half before the show for all the things I just mentioned. So I get two hours to kill. I'll go get some food and maybe try to find some place within the building of the theater in Swarthmore to like sneak away and take a nap. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then you've got another performance. Well, you've got the eight o'clock tonight, eight o'clock tonight. And then you're Mm -hmm. doing the show tomorrow with Jody. And then I got the show tomorrow with Jody 10 to one. And uh, actually what's also great tomorrow is my son and his family are coming down from Massachusetts. Wonderful. And Monday I do the Eagles pregame Monday on Christmas. Happy birthday to my wife, by the way. And, Shout out to Judy Mack now. And uh, after the pregame, I am taking my son and my two grandsons to their first NFL game. Well, my son's been, but my two grandsons, their first NFL game. And they, I, I am so looking forward to sitting in the stands for seats I bought mm-hmm. and watching them just have a great time. That sounds wonderful, but you got a lot of work between now and then. I do. I feel, I feel I, bad. I've got a, I'm going to a neighborhood Christmas party tonight i've got nice. christmas eve tomorrow with my family you know i've got 48 hours of just bacchanalia here yeah and you've no, actually no. got to do work yeah well I, listen my work is that you and i sit around and talk about sports my work is that i get to hang around with eagles fans before the game on monday and my work is i get to perform on a stage so uh, no pity parties for me pal okay well speaking of the show speaking of young frankenstein which again 2 o'clock today, 8 o'clock tonight at the PCS Theater in Swarthmore. We had run this giveaway for the previous three hours. Dan Wilson, who came up with the best New York-Philadelphia underrated sports moment? Well, so really quick, coming up at 1 o'clock, Rob Ellis and Ruben Frank. Uh, ah, live that's from a good Parks, pairing. Excellent. Uh, for Go Birds Radio. Uh, the winner for the tickets, uh, we were all talking during the break. Our favorite answer, nice obscure moment, but one that everyone kind of remembers where it was, and it's when... Sports really got thrown into perspective, so to speak. Uh, when Osama bin Laden was captured and killed, and it happened live during a Phillies-Mets game, very cool Philly-New York moment where, as our caller put it best, Philly and New York sports fans were united even for just 10 minutes in time. Yeah, no, that's a good one and a, a good selection. I think we were unanimous in that. Uh, yeah, I'm good with that. Yep, absolutely. So, Dan, tell us what else, if anything, that we forgot to talk about. 
So on today's edition of what we forgot to talk about, a few grievances that were aired during the week in the sports world. Uh, number one, and this was just a really ironic one. Don't know if you guys caught it, but Bill Belichick complaining that uh, the balls were underinflated, the kicking yeah. balls in the Patriots game. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, that, 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 I first thought that was parody. I didn't, I didn't believe it was real, but it was. I've had enough discussion of Bill Belichick's balls in my life. Continue, Dan. <laughs> So he aired a grievance. Uh, the baseball world aired some grievances that Yoshi Yamamoto went to the Dodgers along with Shohei Otani. Feels like the Dodgers have unlimited money, and that they got both of the big splashes of the offseason here. Yeah, look, they're going to be great during the regular season, and they have this money to spend. And Otani and Yamamoto are great, great players. Um, they still got to win a best of five series in the first round, and that seems to be a struggle for them. Yeah. Anything can happen in the baseball playoffs, as we saw here in this city last fall. And the fall before that, frankly. Yeah, it, it's uh, really just baseball is kind of weird that way. Uh, and a grievance that was aired, so I, I kind of thematic from last week, when or last week or two weeks ago, Mike, when you said that you would put anyone who had like a great stretch or like a great moment or run in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to get your take on what LeBron tweeted earlier during today's show, which is that, he wants players, and obviously for selfish reasons here, he thinks players should be able to go in the Hall of Fame during their careers the same way coaches do. No, that's, no that's silly. That's yeah. ridiculous because you're, the story is unfinished, right? Pete Rose could have gone in the Hall of Fame in 1980 before anybody knew anything about his gambling sure. and, and sports betting. So, no, I, I don't like that idea. At all. Yeah, no. he, yeah, LeBron. What's, what's the rush? I, I, LeBron, I guess, is a little antsy. He'll get there. Yeah, he'll be fine. If if Michael Jordan had to wait the five years or however long he had to wait, then then LeBron. Well, Gretzky's the only guy who wasn't forced to wait, right? In like any sport, basically. Yeah, but that's the end. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess. Uh, yeah, maybe Sandy Koufax. There, there have been a few. Well, yeah. there have been some who've like, was it ja- did away Jackie Robinson have to wait? That's a good one. I think he. I think he did. Yeah, I, I would hope not. And I got one more thing for you. Until you pin me, George, Festivus is not over. So now we've moved on to the feats of strength, <laughs> in which. I feel, and I want to see what you guys think about this. Did the media pin down Jalen Hurts this week? He makes the comments about accountability and commitment on Monday, and then I thought totally walked it back later in the week. Mike, I believe you were in the press conference, at least in Philly. I mean, is that a correct read on what happened here? Yeah. It's difficult because you know Jalen isn't going to want to go there. And you know at some level if you push him on it, you can push him on it, and you should push him on it, and he was asked about it. But you recognize at the same time that he's just not going to say anything, and so. Well, like Monday night's game? game was like the most he's ever said. It felt like, like actually opening up his mouth about that, and then almost kind of caught himself. Yeah, he did. And what's interesting about that, Dan, is that there were only one of one or two people in the post game press conference room with Hertz when he gave those answers to those questions. One of them was Zach Berman, uh, who's covered the team for a long, long time. But I wonder if because Jalen wasn't speaking to a big crowd of people that he— It felt like no one was listening. It felt like no one was listening to him. Maybe. No. I don't know. He's got to know better than that. And w- one last thing I just want to say, uh, obviously, as we kind of wrap up the year here, always appreciate working uh, with you guys. What I got you for the holidays, both of you, a donation has been made in your honor to the Human Fund. The Human Fund? Yes. Oh, Thank you. Thanks Money for people, nice. yes. So when Wait. I begin raining blows upon you, I will eventually realize there has to be another way— and I'll come up with a better holiday gift. And you get the fo- the pole out of the crawl space later oh, today, I'll, the whole yes, thing. Yes, yeah. exactly. I exactly. get to see you tomorrow, Dan Wilson. Yes, uh, you Jody and Jody McDonald. will be working. Yep. So it'll be good. Listen, everyone out there, um, you will not hear from me until next week. So have a great Christmas, Glenn. Good luck with the show. Thank you so much. This afternoon and tonight. 
Uh, Dan, have a great Saturday. Enjoy it. And, Thank you very uh, much. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been 94 WIP. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.